does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'll tell you what, Jimmy, and we've got a loaded show today because we've got college football to talk about in terms of the college football playoff. Yes. Clemson's playing. No, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> no one cares that Clemson's playing right now. Um, the Tiger Bowl. Although I'm wearing my little. Well, you care. You care. I'm yeah. wearing my Clemson sweatshirt. Yeah, I know, but I'm not stupid enough to think that other people care. Um, you have obviously the Colts in. I mean, to be real, the second biggest showdown so far of the year and the biggest one being next week, and you say that because there are two games left and you basically have got to win both. You know that now. I mean, Cleveland's in, right? Correct. Cleveland punched their dance card. So two spots left. Buffalo's surging. Buffalo's trying to get into that left lane, but they're in like a brand new Escalade and they're doing like 60 miles an hour. And you're like, okay, they're probably going to wedge their way in here somehow, right? Yes. So there's a lot going on in that. You've got Dwight Freeney, who we talked about yesterday, along with Reggie Wayne, is one of the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And my understanding is Eduardo Garrison. Eddie Garrison, the star of the day, dipping into his Rolodex as the producer and going in to the depths of his old phone numbers and finding information for Dwight Freeney and Eddie you said that you talked to Freeney and he's going to join us at what time yeah he'll join us at one o'clock I had to send us out in 2023 and with a bang so I like that it's well I, done I had to go big so Dwight Freeney at one o'clock today I I want to ask Freeney you guys think he'll do this I so often professional athletes college athletes in general when you ask them maybe not college but professional athletes certainly you get to a point where if they are in the running for major awards or whatever else, and I don't mean a major award like a, a leg lamp in the window. I mean a legitimate major award. Oftentimes, players, when you ask them, they give you kind of a canned answer of like, you know, that that's out of my control. I, I leave that up to other voters, it, you know, whatever. It's a parting of the ways question. You're either going to get the person that gives you the candid answer or you're going to get something honest. So I think I might ask, what do you think Freeney will say? Will he answer it if I say to him, because the way that this works, for the Professional Football Hall of Fame candidacy, each player that is a finalist has, there is an assigned professional writers in the Professional Football Writers Association, there's an assigned writer that covered that player their responsibility is to read the credentials for that player, okay? Now, here's what I want to do with Dwight Freeney, and you tell me if you think he'll do it. I want to basically say to Dwight Freeney, okay, I want you to be Mike Chappell. Sell me your case. Tell me why you're in the Hall of Fame. Give me your argument. If you were able to stand up in high school debate class and debate your case, tell me why you're a Hall of Famer. Now, do you think Freeney... If I ask him that, do you think Dwight Freeney will answer it honestly, or do you think he'll say, man, that's for somebody else. I'm uncomfortable doing that. I think that he has enough groundwork from his career, whether it's the center spin move, the sack totals, whatever you want to point to. I think he has enough there where he can comfortably do it in a way that's not going to 
like most athletes most athletes are worried about imaging right like their public image like oh, are you coming off as arrogant or I, right. I think there's a way with what he did I mean, on the field I mean he's a pretty sharp guy so he probably can balance Correct. that but I th- but I think I'm going to ask him look I think you should you know what, give me your give me your case and just see what he says you know what I mean but he's going to join us you said one o'clock, Eddie yes sir all right Dwight Freeney at one o'clock today we'll talk a little college football at two o'clock James Boyd going to join us to set up that Colts game. 12.30 is when James joins us, a little under 30 minutes from now. But let's begin with this. Uh, Pacers last night. This is the thing about Tyrese Halliburton. When he is on and he is in that kind of a groove, it is pretty intoxicating to watch. And yeah, there were, if you were going to go yin and yang, the the drawback would be the fact that they at one point had a what twenty five point lead that disappeared in like the span of about six minutes. I almost called it. I was like, "All right, it's good. They got this on lock." And then I remembered, "Wait, this is the NBA. I should probably still hang around just to be safe." And good well, thing I, I did. Mean, <laughs> your, your choice, what you know, you're, at that point, at that point, you're struggling with it because you're like, "Look, I want to. It's twenty five point game. Yep. And I really want to see." college football players eating like a nine-foot Pop-Tart. I mean, right? that's the dream. And so that was a possibility with the Pop-Tart Bowl. But you stuck with it because Chicago made it. Chicago, basically, the Kellogg's company was not happy with, with the Bulls, right? No, they're not. Because they're like, folks, we need don't, don't make this interesting, guys, because we want people turning over to watch the world's largest Pop-Tart being eaten. And did they you did see it, by the way? Like, the did Pop-Tart? you watch the highlight of that all play out? For those that haven't, since we're a video medium, if I may, or since we're an audio medium and that it's a video element, they had this Pop-Tart mascot like you would see on like a mascot day or if you think of Boomer or something like that. And he was around throughout the entirety of the game. And when he first arrived, he came out of a toaster and he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And everybody had a good time, right? Then the game ends. He goes back to the toaster. They lower him into the toaster. And then all the players are at the base of this toaster and rolls out a full size, just like the mascot, edible Pop-Tart. Yeah, of course. And it was consumed by Kansas State because they won. Now, what was the flavor? Big strawberry. Go, there's strawberry. The whole thing was strawberry. Which, which Jake, Jake, Jake called it as a core flavor. You figured that's well, the way they would go. I, there were three, right? Strawberry, right. cherry, and blueberry. Right. Strawberry might be the original Pop-Tart flavor. Yeah. But... Again, I'm going to go back to it. now. Here's here's the poor marketing to an extent. I guess not. A couple of ways you can think of it. But Kellogg's is sponsoring two different bowl games. They are. Now it's only fitting that the. Here's where I think they aired. Okay. You have the Pop Tarts Bowl, and they got everything possible out of that because it it's it it became Duke's Mayo Bowl level. Every every bowl game now is essentially using Katy Perry's the the left shark. It's an infomercial. It's an infomercial, correct. But Kellogg's does the Pop-Tart Bowl where they really aired is they now have the Tony the Tiger Bowl. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you call it the Bowl of Frosted Flakes? Yes. I mean, what do you put frosted flakes in? A bowl usually. Yeah. So, like, if you're going to sponsor, if you're going to use a cereal sponsor, then shouldn't you tie in the name of the cereal, not the lo- not the mascot? Now, well, so they took over the what the Sun Bowl. It's the Sun Bowl. It's the so it's the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. What it should have been then instead, if they weren't tied to the Sun Bowl, because the Sun Bowl is still one that like people recognize, right? Like, it's not top tier, but you're like, oh, I've heard of the Sun Bowl before. 
If it would have been a randomly done one, it should have been the Tony the Tiger's Frosted Flakes Bowl. That's what it should have Correct. been. Correct. Or the Sun Bowl of Frosted Flakes. I'll tell you what, something yes. they missed out on the Pop-Tarts Bowl in terms of like marketing is they have to do something with the field and put like sprinkles yeah, or that'd be something. Cool. Yeah, between the But just between the 20s. Now, the, the logo for the Pop-Tart Bowl was a Pop-Tart with a huge bite taken out of the top right-hand corner. They need to just flip that, have the bite out of the top left-hand corner, and move that bad boy right here to Indiana. Or you just you there know, you go. paint the field white and decorate it with, with whatever. Sprinkle. That's cool. Yeah. Well, but the sidelines then, the sidelines the then are, are the crust. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it works out pretty well, right? And same for the end zones. You got to have well, the, you got to have a little bit of the faded paint, like because the frosting usually kind of gets glided yeah. over a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, but so anyway, last night that was the big talk, the Pop Tart Bowl. Uh, on our website, by yes, the way, one zero seven five thefan dot com, you yep. can see all of the different tweets and videos of, and for that matter, the huge pop tart. Not only how they made it, but how they consumed it as well. Um, so the Pacers last night, for a while, there looked like they were going to be, they were putting together this delicacy, this pastry that was unbelievable. The Pacers were putting together the most delicious, pristine pop tart that one could enjoy, and then. All of a sudden, they looked themselves like the crust that was getting snapped up by the Bulls as Chicago's like, wait a minute, uh, not so fast. And then in the end, it turned out to be, you know, an absolute supreme delicacy put together by Tyrese Halliburton. 21 points, 20 assists, and then most importantly, no turnovers. And I think, Jimmy, that's the real key. When Halliburton gets into a zone, he's an interesting player because his facilitating offensively and maneuvering the ball around and you know certainly his passing kind of starts with his hitting shots when he gets into that zone where he is pulling up from three point range and he you know he he's doing the heat check threes he's doing the Reggie Miller against the Knicks I'm going to pull up you know 35 feet out for a three when he's doing those things that gives him this swagger about himself that then all of a sudden he starts treating the basketball like a yeah. yo-yo and it's going all over the place and no look passes and he gets he literally goes like almost out of body into like a zone level rhythm that's it's i mean it's obviously a joy to watch right it's the best show in the nba when he's on one like that fifth player in nba history 20 assists no turnovers here's the list kevin porter john lucas ricky green chris paul tyrese halliburton that's the entire list and i just like look Tyrese Halliburton is not a perfect player. Few players are in the NBA, but he's continuing to grow night in and night out, and you expect leaps and bounds of growth as the season continues to go on. But it's one thing to have the mentality of, I've been turning the ball over too much because I had two turnovers or three turnovers a game, and I had zero for a long span this year. I want to be better than that. Some people look at those as empty words. It's like, oh, he's just a perfectionist. Like, it's really, it's not that big a deal, just two turnovers. Like, no, it, it matters to him. A great deal. Like, he feels like, think of the greatest scorer in the NBA. For him, as a facilitator, he feels like it is a failure unless he's perfect. You look at any quote from last night, look at just the way he is post-game, if there's a night where he has two or three turnovers, I'm not saying the bar should be zero for him because that's unfair for everybody, but the more often it happens, the more you can actually view it as a real expectation and a surprise when you suddenly see right. two or three turnovers. That's how good he is at the basketball. He, um, The other thing that happened last night in that game, he kind of lifted the Pacers 
after there was all of a sudden this hitch in the road. I, I don't know that I've ever seen this. Something happened last night, that, and I've been to I, – I, I'm going to guess. It, I'm if, if you consider my age, Jimmy, how many NBA games do you think that in my lifetime I have seen in person? Now, keep in mind, I was a ball boy for the Pacers. Oh, okay. As a sophomore in high school. Just the one year? Just the one year. Okay. It was great, though. Um, I actually wasn't a ball boy, per se, like on the floor ball boy. Back then, the Pacers had a program where you – like when you got to the game, there were like got like kids like in sweatsuit pacer sweatsuits that handed out like magnets or hats or whatever the giveaway was for that particular game. You, you know what I mean? Right. Um, how long so have I, you had season tickets or been going? Well, how long I have, have you had the ability to go to okay, games on that? Yeah, I was gonna basis. say because I don't have season Sorry. tickets, but Shannon does. Sorry. Um, well, she has the entire time that we've been together, but it has only been in the last three or four years where I have gone with her for the majority because for a lot of the games she would go with her father and he doesn't go to as many games anymore. So now I, so I go, um, I'll say, I'll say you've probably, but then I, you know, I had a credential for my entire adult life. I, I'll say you've probably here. seen like six to seven seasons worth of that's probably fair. NBA right? games. that's probably fair. And yet in all of those games in person, two things that. I've never seen in professional sports. I've never seen a foul ball come near me at a baseball game. I've never even been close to getting a foul ball or a home run ball. Not even close. Now, there was a time, and I will say this. If you are over the age, by the way, here's a Jake Query rule. If you're over the age of 20 and not accompanying a young person, you have zero business taking your glove to the game. Period. Um, and if you are over the age of 35... I and, would like to throw one caveat out there. Okay. Unless, and I'm not in this category. This isn't for me. This is for maybe our listeners. Unless you are taking your son to the game and your objective is to get a ball for them. No, no, that's what I said. If, you okay. are, if you're not if accompanying you're, okay. a, a young okay, person. Bad. I missed that. It's my yeah, bad. if you have a young person with you, fair sure. game until sure. whatever age you want. Right. Uh, secondly, unless you are at a specific specialized event of the game that is memorable, a la your own bachelor party or you know, your dad's birthday, you know, whatever. If you're just taking in a major league baseball game or an Indians game or whatever, and a foul ball comes near you and you are within range of a young person, a, a kid, and you keep the ball, then you are automatically like there is not life in prison level, but close. You you are a complete loser at that point. Like yeah. you, the, the rule is when you go to a game at, at a certain age, you give it up and you go, my time has come and gone. I would have loved to have had a foul ball when I was a kid. So you get the foul ball, you can jump up and down like Ferris Bueller and show off, and then you turn around, you find the closest kid, and you give the kid the foul yeah. ball. The yeah, only okay. caveat I will have to that, the only one, is if it's a historical foul, like home run. Like if it's a home run and they want the ball, I am keeping that puppy and I, I get it. I mean, getting whatever I can from the team. Okay, I mean, that, that's fair. But but like if you're... Yeah, if but you're, I understand that happened to uh, Olivia and I over this past summer. We were at a... We were at a Reds game and we got a foul ball, and she took she caught it. She got so she took a picture with it and then gave it to the kids right behind us. Yeah, of course. Now, admittedly, if that had been like Pete Rose came for one last at bat and he hit that foul ball, sure. uh, you know, and maybe it's a little tougher, but still. So I have never though in my NBA lifetime seen a guy get called, and it should be called. It's a rule, right? 
but I don't know that I've ever seen them enforce the 10-second free throw rule. And I've been to, I've seen the Milwaukee Bucks play a handful of times. And Giannis, now Giannis, I will say, if you truly count it out, yes. Giannis usually gets it off at like 9.9 seconds. Well, there was a stretch, you definitely remember this, where opposing fans would count oh, yeah, when yeah. he was at the line. That's yeah. kind of died down the last two or three years, but there was a time where that happened all the time. So last night it happened to Isaiah Jackson, and then, and and I will be honest, so you fill me in, Jimmy, I don't know if you saw it when it happened. I had the volume down at that point in the game, and then I turn around and look, and Isaiah Jackson is like running into the to the tunnel, and I think he kicked a trash can or something. So at first I thought maybe it was Tom Allen and IU just won, but um, he, it was he that was just out of frustration, right? That's what I gathered, yes. Eddie, did you feel the same way? I'm not 100% sure because they, he went down on the very next possession. They got a foul, and he just went straight back to the locker room. Yeah, that's. I, I wondered like if he was – because he came back in the game. And when he was going to the locker room, he was like holding his hand or something. So, so I don't maybe know. that's what it was. I don't know. But I've just never seen that before. So that you know, I was like, what do you know? But when, when Chicago came back, you know, the narrative, of course, and the question is like how does a team score that quickly? And I've always been fascinated by this. Because you look at a game and you say, how in the world, how in the world does a team give up a 25-point lead? And then when you really think about it objectively, the answer would be this. Why does no one ever ask, how in the world does somebody let another team get up 25 on them? Right? Yep. I mean, it, it it's the same thing. Like, sometimes things just, like, I've had this debate a million times in my lifetime, but do you believe, Jimmy, in momentum in sports? Yes. I do too. I mean, I t- as a fan, you absolutely feel it. As a fan, you can tell when you're watching a game, you're like, oh man, like it, there's just this onslaught coming and I, I, there's nothing you can do about it. Just you, you just know that a team's just giving it. You're like, what is going on here? And I think as a player, they feel that. You can Players can tell you till the cows come home that they don't feel momentum and they don't feel swings. I don't believe that. Well, I think there's a lot of players too, though, that will admit that they feel it, but they also rightfully so feel they can control it as a fan you have you're helpless right you have nothing you can do to try to shift that momentum in football all it takes is a safety that feels that momentum but sees a great read on the ball takes a pick and then you shift that pendulum back the other way like as a player it doesn't I don't think impact you as much because you realize you still have the ability to control and flip that script whereas a fan you're helpless in the stands and are like oh of course what do you think is going to happen all the momentum's on the other side now. Of course, this thing's going to go south. Another area for the Pacers that I think has been a real strong suit for them um, is a guy that has been injured, coming off of injury now, and has very quietly given them really good minutes. Defensively, um, I, I love guys, and, and I probably talk about this too much, but I think such a critically important part of basketball cohesiveness and offensive just movement is it is really important to always have on the floor one or two guys that can get you 12 to 15 points a night that you don't have to orchestrate a single play to run through them. They are situational scores. And by that I mean Tyrese Halliburton is clearly the guy that is mixing the drink for the Pacers. He's the straw that's mixing everything, right? And you know that if he is not going to get his shot, he's either looking to go to Buddy Heald on the wing for a three-point shot, 
to Miles Turner if he flashes open in the interior or to Benedict Mather if he's on the floor to also get himself towards the basket. That leaves always one other guy on the floor that isn't necessarily a designed offensive piece. But if the ball rotates through to them, they have an offensive competence to be able to score despite the fact it wasn't designed for them. And last night and since he has come back from injury, that guy, to a great extent, has been Jalen Smith. Who, I just think when you have a guy that can come in and give you defensively quality minutes and then add 12 to 15 points that you don't have to, you know, he's averaging 10 a game, but that you don't have to orchestrate through. Aaron Neesmith is the same way. It yeah. is critically important to have because there's not a, there's not enough to go around all the time for set plays to go to guys. But in order for guys to stay in rhythm, they've got to be able to feel that they're, they're part of that offensive cohesiveness meaning that they contribute where it's not designed for them to do so. And I think Jalen Smith, Jimmy, since he's come back from injury, has been outstanding. Yeah, you could tell, at least in terms of what was being asked of the rest of that rotation without him for the better part of basically a month. And and you give credit to Isaiah Jackson's where it's due. And of course, Miles Turner is the great player that he is. But yeah, they had to get creative in terms of what they were doing as a unit. And to have that type of cushion back, you're exactly right, Jake. I mean, chips in 15 points, a, a critical part of that near complete performance by the Pacers outside of the 25 point can't call it a collapse and didn't fully cave in, but that's life in the NBA. Sometimes I would completely agree with you as well on the Nes- on the, on the Neesmith and Emhart point, just because so often, and it felt that way, especially for Neesmith in the, or excuse me for uh, Andrew Nemhart, especially in the semifinal against the bucks where anytime they needed a basket that was outside of what they were doing from a set piece standpoint, you just find him at the foul yeah. line or he hit a nice runner for he you. He is a really good mid-range player, yeah. Andrew Nimhard. I mean, that is that is without question his strength yep. and his his operating area. Uh, by the way, that is the voice of Jimmy Cook. My name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query and Company on a Friday on 93.5, 107.5. The fan, big three-day weekend lined up. Jimmy, you were telling me your New Year's Eve plans are? We're on a Top Golf. Uh, top Golf. Go to Top Golf okay. and Fishers for... Bring in the new year. How about you? Uh, I am going to see the elect play. Bob Kravitz is going to join. That's official. Um, That's locked in. He texted me last night and That's said big. he's locked in. So so he is on board with that. So that'll be cool. And then, um, you know, other than that, just probably watching a lot of games. Uh, we'll be going to the Pacer game on Saturday. They're taking on the Knicks, right, Eddie? Knicks in town? Yes, sir. So that Knicks game is going to be on Saturday. Uh, watch that. And then... Get set for, you know, and obviously the Colts game on Sunday, which is a big one. James Boyd going to join us in just a couple of minutes. But um, Pacers, by the way, did what you wanted again on the defensive end. Like, I know Chicago's not an offensive juggernaut, but the pace of that game for sure felt more like a, a normal, we don't need to score 150 type of game for the Pacers. This is a team that was giving up 140, 150 points. Yep. And now all of a sudden, you're starting to see 120. And that's what Rick Carlisle mentioned. And the thing to me that was of concern. Jimmy was there was legitimate for me concern about when you are such a high-flying fast-paced offensive team if you all of a sudden are going to ratchet it down defensively and really buckle things down how much did that compromise your style of play in terms of your offensive motion and would it would it all of a sudden could they become a defensive team without compromising what they do offensively 
they're clearly not scoring at the same pace, but that's okay because they are finding defensively the ability to 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 shut down people less than the level at which they're able to score. Now, for the again, first five, right? We talked about that. For the first five in 2024 are against Milwaukee and Boston. I don't expect huge. them to play perfect for all four of those contests, but I would like, let's say they struggle the first matchup against Boston or Milwaukee, I want improvements in the second game or vice versa to the point that where it's like, okay, this isn't the full final form of the 23-24 Pacers, but they looked as efficient against better competition at what they're trying to shift to. Last night, I'm sitting there watching the Pacer game and I see the flash on the screen. This can't be reality. What alternate world am I living in? What? Who's punking me and when is Ashton Kutcher going to come in here? There's zero chance. There is no possibility. There is not anything aligning anywhere on the planet that is telling me that the Detroit Pistons record NBA losing streak is going to come to an end in Boston against the Celtics with Porzingis on the floor, right? Eddie and I had a talk about this earlier in the week. I was like, man, what's 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 the Pistons money line against the Celtics? And he was like, it was plus twelve hundred. And I was like, wouldn't it be just hilarious? If this thing was to end against That shows Boston. the NBA, right? Yes. I, so I flip over. So I'm here to tell you, if you are a fan of the Detroit Pistons, my condolences, then you can blame me. If you're a fan of the Detroit Pistons, last night with a minute and a half to go in double overtime, I flip over. <laughs> They're up one. They have the ball. Wit. I'm about to witness history. I'm going to see it happen right here. I'm going to watch the longest professional losing streak in American sports come to an end at the hands or or, or against a team that is probably the best in the league, showing the absolute every night unpredictability of the NBA. So I turn it over, and as soon as I do, I'm not, or I turn over the station. They turn over the basketball. Boston comes down, hits a three, takes a two-point lead, comes down. Porzingis gets a steal. They Now, all of a sudden, they're up four. Literally, it swung five points in 20 seconds. Shannon says to me, she's literally grabbing the remote from me with the same ferocity of which I grab it from her when I want to get it off of the Bravo network. And I'm saying to her, why are you grabbing the remote? And she goes, we have to turn it. We have to turn it. Why do we have to turn it? I just feel so sorry for them. I feel so sorry for them. They've lost 28 straight, and I feel bad. Okay. And so Did that warm your heart? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I thought to myself, okay, but I still I want to see it go to 30. And here's the thing, I'm like, this is the team of the brawl, right? This is the franchise of the brawl. This is the franchise that cost yes. your Pacers an NBA title. Let's go 60. Like, why stop now? Let's go see. So all of a sudden, I'm rooting for the Celtics and I'm thinking to myself, "Hell yeah, let's go. Blow them out." And Boston goes on and wins the game. And for Detroit, you got to be thinking to yourself like, "When's it going to end?" right? Do you think teams are going to start treating Detroit now like it's Game Seven of the NBA yes. Finals because they no, don't no, want to no, that no, you team? No, that's a trivial pursuit yes. card. Nobody wants that. I, to the uh-uh. point, Eddie, where I looked at the schedule to see when Indiana plays them next because I'm like, don't let it be the Pacers, don't let it be the Pacers. And fortunately, it would be like up into the 55-60 range before Indiana sees them again. Uh, James Boyd, of course, covers the Colts for the Athletic, and he is going to join us on the other side, previewing Colts and Raiders. We'll do it next. Query and Company, 93.5-107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back here on a Friday, 
heading into a three-day weekend. Happy New Year to you. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. James Boyd, writer for The Athletic, joins us to talk about the Colts and the Raiders. James, I'm going to start with you with the same tired, patented, and repeated intro that I've had every time we've talked about this game, but it's so true, in my opinion at least. Whoever would have thunk back when we were at Grand Park that here we would be in the penultimate game of the year between the Colts and the Raiders of two teams that actually still mathematically had a chance to win their division. Crazy, crazy season. Um, But does that say more about the Colts' schedule to this point? Does it say more just about them finding some consistency in play? And can they still, even though mathematically it's possible, are they going to win the division? That's a lot. That's a loaded question there, Jake. Um, I would say that the reason they're in this position now speaks to their head coach. Um, give Shane Stacking a ton of credit for keeping this team afloat despite all of the changes, injuries, suspensions, you name it, they've had it this season. And so um, kudos to him for keeping them afloat and moving them to 8-7 and seven this season. I think that he's found a way for them to be competitive in pretty much every single game. Obviously, last week was not the case, but for the most part, they've been competitive. And so I think on top of that, when you look at what they can do as far as getting into the playoffs, yes, it's possible. You know, the Jaguars are caving right now. The Texans um, aren't playing, you know, out of their mind. It's possible. But I think right now the goal will be for them to just get in any way they can. If they get in, that's a successful season. And even if they don't, um, I can't say that if they missed out that I'm disappointed or like this season was a failure because of what they had to overcome to even get to this point. So, James, the – you know, I'm curious to this, Shane Steichen, and I agree with you, Steichen to me has been kind of the the stabilizing calm of the ship, if you will. I mean, he's been very, he's looked and acted the part all year to me, but do they still come up with wrinkles down the stretch here, or are you at the point in the season where you say, we're going to do what we do, and we're confident that that's going to be enough, or are they constantly tweaking new looks that we have not yet previously seen? I think there's always something up Shane Steichen's sleeve where we might see a different play call or something that frees up the offense or jump starts them in some way that we haven't seen before. However, I do think that at this point in the season, they know what they have to do to win, and it's run the ball. Um, when they've run the ball pretty well, they've won most of their games, and also when they've created turnovers. Last week, they didn't defend the run well, they didn't run the ball well, and they had no turnovers, and it was a lopsided game. And so I think if they can avoid putting the ball in Gardner Minshew's hands a ton and make sure they keep the ball in the hands of their running backs, keep the defense honest, and they have a good chance of winning, which is um, the case week in and week out for this team. He's James Boyd, covers the Colts for The Athletic. James, I know you mentioned that Jake's question was loaded. Mine's not necessarily loaded, but I know it's a difficult one to answer out of the gate, so we're, we're making you earn everything in this appearance on Query and Company. Yeah, y'all set me up. <laughs> yeah, I gave you like three and one, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my just one and one, with the absence of Julian Blackman on IR now, is this the equivalent for the Colts defensively in terms of losing a piece that finally has the rest of the roster in a situation where things are caving in around them, just like we saw against Atlanta when Michael Pittman Jr. was absent. Is this this the piece that's finally too much to ask of this group without Julian Blackman? I don't think it's as big of a loss as Pittman, but I do think it could be a significant loss. The one 
thing that could benefit the Colts is that the quarterback they're facing isn't very good. He's a rookie, Aiden O'Connell. Obviously, Indiana's familiar with him, having played at Purdue. But it's not like he's some, you know, superstar quarterback who's going to just light them up because the secondary is weak. So, although they have, you know, pretty good skill position players, um, the headliner obviously being Devontae Adams, they still have a chance to kind of stir up that back end with Nick Cross and make life hard on Aiden O'Connell. So, it is a big loss, but I don't think it's to the level of Pitt. And, you know, I'm looking at him in practice today wondering if he's going to be okay to play because if he is, I think the Colts have a chance to, you know, again, get back on track against a team that isn't, you know, they're playing well at the moment. They're rallying around the interim coach, but in my opinion, still isn't a very good team. So um, you handle your business at home and you give yourself a chance to go into, you know, the final week of the season, uh, potentially with a chance to win the division. You know, James, it's one of those years for me, James Board of the Athletic is our guest, where so many things, and kudos to the Colts for taking advantage of it, but so many balls have bounced the way of the Colts this year, be it the quarterback that they're getting ready to face from one game to the next in terms of you know backups, the schedule, all of it. Julian Blackman going out for the year is a, a major loss. There is no good time for that. But if there's a game where without Julian Blackman, who they've had to play games without, but if there's a game that is the best situation to kind of reacclimate and reset without him, wouldn't it be this one? Isn't this another benefit to the Colts because of the fact that they're going against a team that, quite frankly, does not throw the ball well. And as a result of that, it allows you to kind of slow re-entry those that are going to have to fill the piece of Julian Blackman. Absolutely. I think you hit right on the head right there. I think, again, when you look at on paper, you're like, wow, they have Devontae Adams. They might be able to light the Colts up. But then you look at how they won last week, in the last two weeks, rather. They've had two defensive touchdowns in each of their last two wins. And then last week, they won despite Aiden O'Connell only throwing for 68 yards and not completing a pass after the first quarter. Like, think about that. They won an NFL game with their quarterback not completing a pass for three quarters. So, again, I think that this bodes well for the Colts. And what gives them a little bit more um, maybe confidence is Nick Cross and the way he's played this year and his spot minutes and spot snaps. He's been okay. He's been better than last year. I think he's confident that he can step in and make an impact. And also – not to be rude to Julian Blackman, but considering the injury history, he's in a contract year, this could be a two-game audition for Nick Cross to show this franchise, like, hey, this is why you guys traded up to draft me, and I'm your safety of the future. Is Michael Pittman's concussion protocol, I don't want to call them struggles, but just his adversity that he's gone through with this, re-entering it after getting initially cleared, has that changed the way that you evaluate or monitor this as a journalist, as a reporter of the team, because from our vantage point, you hear all the tweets and, and you and Stephen Holder and others are putting the caveats of, yes, he's not in the red, no contact jersey, but that doesn't mean he's playing or not. How, how difficult has this week been from a coverage standpoint and ultimately how long before we know if he's going to go on Sunday? Yeah, so I think that it has taught me to be better at my job because last week we asked, hey, has he cleared concussion protocol? Um, we were told Friday that he did, and I tweeted out, oh, he's cleared to play. That doesn't mean he's cleared to play. And, and the caveat there was he still had the shoulder issues, he was questionable, and then he regressed on Saturday with concussion symptoms. So I think going forward, especially with Shane, who never says any more than he has to, I have to be specific, very specific, like, okay, is he out of the protocol? Will he be available to play? And that'll be questions I'll ask today, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Colts just say, hey, we, how about we just um, wait until – um, Saturday to announce if he's actually going to play or wait until Sunday 
until he's going to play. So I do think they have to let us know if he cleared the protocol. But as far as being available to play, we'll see. And so I just put it like this to the Colts fans. Until you see him running out there for warm-ups um, with his helmet and his pads on, just don't think anything of his status just yet. James, I want to go back to Nick Cross, who obviously becomes an important player now down the stretch. Um, I look at Shaq Leonard, who we know was a wonderful player. But Shaq Leonard was so gifted athletically, I guess still is, I mean, but that when his body started to break down on him and he had injury, he didn't necessarily have the base mechanics to make up for the lack of athleticism he had been so reliant upon. Is Nick Cross kind of a safety version of that? Does he still need to learn the mechanics and the lines of the position as opposed to strictly relying on raw, raw athleticism? No, I think he actually has a lot of the sound techniques and things like that. But the biggest thing I've heard from him and others is just the communication factor. We lose your strong safety. They're closer to the ball. They're usually like the middle linebacker of your secondary. And so he has to be more vocal, which I think goes against his natural um, personality. He's a more of a quiet, reserved guy. And so they've been challenging him to be more vocal, be more out there. And they have said that he's taking steps in the right direction this season to do so. And I think one of the other factors that, that lets you know he's pretty sound defensively, at least with, you know, uh, coverages and techniques, is because they were allowing him to be their backup safety at strong safety, backup safety at free safety, and then backup nickelback as well. So he has a lot on his plate this year. And I don't think you can really put a lot on his plate if you hadn't trusted um, the technique and the, the mindset as well. Okay, I'm going to name a couple of guys. You tell me whether you anticipate them playing against the Raiders on Sunday. You ready? Let's do it. Uh, Braden Smith. Plays. Okay, and he he has practiced twice this week, correct? Yes. Okay, Michael Pittman. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the concussion stuff alone. I truly don't know. Yeah, and, and I get it, James. That's a, And I think all of us at this point are kind of under that understanding, right, of the fact that concussions are one that you just – you kind of have to respect whatever the decision is, right? I mean – Pretty, exactly. Pretty, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's obviously a sensitive area, pardon the pun. Okay, Zach, um, Zach Moss. I'm going to say yes, although he was not practicing today. I don't know what that's about. Maybe he had to get just a little bit more treatment on his um, forearm. It is the same forearm he broke in the preseason. I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. But, yeah, he was not out there today, which I thought was a little bit of uh, a question mark. Uh, anybody else that is of question that we haven't mentioned or that maybe is flying under the radar in terms of their lack of health? I think DJ Montgomery, um, you know, obviously he had a, a pretty significant performance in their last home game, the win over the Steelers. He had a groin. He practiced today for the first time this week. So, um, again, you talk about Pittman being in there and others, but you want to make sure that he's available too because I think DJ Montgomery is just another body you can throw at them another scope of this guy who could potentially, you know, make a difference. He is a playmaker when he gets hands on the ball. So um, I think for them, it's just can they just get healthy at some point in the season? And it feels like they're turning in the right direction. And, and, and if you get your top guys back against a team like this, the Raiders, um, again, am I going to say it's a failed season if they lose? No. But I think this would really sting this team to have it, you know, uh, an opportunity like this and waste it, given that most of these guys are going to play. The Athletics' James Boyd joins us. James, you mentioned that running the football should be a top priority for the Colts in probably their most ex- effective area to success and to open everything else up for them offensively. When you say that, do you mean 
more force feeding, more high level volume for Jonathan Taylor? Or do you mean specifically JT needs to be more effective and more the the running back we've been used to him being the last couple of years with the carries he's getting? I think it's a little bit of both, but what's interesting to me is just how up and down the offensive line has been the last few weeks. They were incredible blocking, you know, against the Steelers, and then they came out and they had a horrible game against Atlanta, and Bernard Ryman owned it. He basically said, hey, they went to a five-man front, which basically means it's our five against their five. We got a one-on-one-on-one matchup. And if they do that, then I think you give JT a chance to be the star player that he's proven to be throughout his career. Now, um, has he been that guy this season? Not really. I think his best game was probably against the Bucks when he did mess up his thumb because he had like, what, 15 carries, 91 yards yep. or whatever. But since then, um, I think that it's just been a struggle for him to get a rhythm because of the injuries and then the inconsistency up front. So if they can figure that out against the Raiders, um, we should be in for a good performance for him because I still think that JT is, is, is one of the best backs in the league. It's just a matter of timing, rhythm, and his health as well. James Boyd is our guest. The Athletic is where you can read his work, where he covers the Indianapolis Colts. You, of course, hear him on this radio station frequently as well. James, tell me a point this year, if there is, I'm assuming there was one, but when you look back and you're, you're reviewing the Colts' 2023 season, tell me the time that was the first epiphany you had where you had to remind yourself that Shane Steichen was still a first-year head coach because you thought to yourself, that moment right there sounded and looked like a coaching veteran. And that decision or that way he carried himself or that mannerism shows that he is a guy at this point that appears to be advanced beyond being a rookie head coach. Was there a moment? I think it might have been maybe midway through the season when we asked, you know, what's the hardest part about being a head coach? And he was like, well, none of it's really hard. You just prepare. And I was like, eh, that could be seen as arrogant. But then you see the way he's prepared, and you're like, you know what? I don't think this guy ever has been underprepared. Now, there's questionable calls for every coach, but I do think that they have a guy who, because he prepares so much and he basically lives in his office from what I've heard, um, that rubs off on the other guys. And so he instills that confidence in them that no matter what happens, we're prepared for it. And I think you see that in the way that, you know, you have guys like, Tyler Goodson and Trey Sermon step up, you know, in games. And so when you see performances like that and you ask where they came from, yeah, the player stepped up, but at this reflection of their head coach because he's always, you know, preaching and coaching, you know, from the top down um, that every guy matters. And, you know, you hear those cliches around the league, but just talking to some of the guys in the locker room, he does make these guys feel like they have a chance to make a play. And they also know if they do something in practice and, and excel at practice, they'll get a shot on game day to, you know, show their skill set, which – you know, Shane has shown. He'll, he'll put you in the game if you show something in practice, and, and these guys have had a great opportunity to do so because of the injuries and things like that, to go out there and make plays. How much is his departure a factor in what we've seen of late in Philadelphia? Or is that simply an easy narrative? I think it's very significant, and it goes for both sides of the ball. I think that them losing their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator – you know, down there to gain into the Cardinals is a huge loss. And I think that you've seen the, the losses and, and the effect of it on this group. And it looks like everything offensively is so hard for Philadelphia, despite all their talent. And I think that's a big testament to how easy Shane Sykin makes it look, even though I'm sure his job ain't easy. James, does it feel like, as we get into like the mood and vibe of things around this Colts team, you mentioned that it might not be viewed as a failure. You've 
if they miss the playoffs, but it would sting for this group. How much of that is carryover from the struggles they've had the last three or four years? And do you get a sense from veterans that that's on their mind of not wanting to repeat the failings of the last couple of years? Yeah, Zaire Franklin dismissed this notion the other day. We asked about it, and I think that's because I had it in my story after last game. And I, just to kind of clarify for everyone out there, when I talked to Quiddy Pay and he brought up 2021 and how it feels like deja vu, that was all on his own. I just asked him, hey, you know, Gardner Minshew said you can't take this for granted. What does that mean to you? And he was like, you know what? It feels just like when my rookie year. We were right there. He said we let other people dictate our future, and we fell flat on our face. We can't let that happen again. He did say it's going to be, different, be a different story this year. So we'll see if we can take him out of the way after these next few games. But um, I definitely can say with certainty, obviously, having talked to Quiddy Quid- Pay, that it's on the mind of at least him and maybe a few other players, even though they might not admit it, I, th- I know it's something that's going to haunt them if they you know, fall flat on their face again, despite it being a totally different situation, different coaches, different quarterbacks, all those things. Um, to be this close and then to maybe not make it would sting a lot. And so I think that's just one of those factors where they, they know it's in the back of their mind, they want to avoid it, and if it gives them extra motivation, extra juice, maybe that's a good thing. James, Zaire Franklin is such a – just a stabilizing force for their defense and just his his total story. There's a reason the guy clearly we're seeing, there's a reason why he was a four-year captain in college, right? Give me a player for the Colts this year that inside the locker room is a much larger force and a much bigger role model, if you will, leader than people outside the locker room would realize. Tyquan Lewis, actually this is a story on him and how he took Nick Cross under his wing last year and embraced him because every time I go in the locker room now, Nick Cross is hanging out with the D-line and thinks he's an honorary defensive end of, of some sort because Tyquan Lewis uh, has basically embraced him and kind of encouraged him even last year wasn't playing. And I think the biggest part about what that says about Tyquan is his character. Last year, Tyquan was coming off his second you know, uh, devastating injury, and then this year he's finally healthy. He could have been focusing all on himself and been in his own little world, but he's the guy who uh, brings the levity, brings the joy, and um, really uh, doesn't care what role you have on the team, what position you play, offense or defense. He talks to everybody, and from what I've heard, he's like the emotional leader and somebody who really um, brings a lot of fun to the room and, and just reminds them to be you know, uh, grateful for the opportunity to go out there and play because for two years he couldn't do that. Can or will Shane Steichen come up with a different – offensive philosophy to kind of protect Gardner Minshew from becoming turnover prone down the stretch? I think it's just the nature of who he is at this point. I don't think Shane is a magician. He can't just make a player, you know, not be what he's been throughout his career or throughout this season. I think the key, like I said earlier, is the, you know, can you get the ball rolling on the ground? And if that's the case, you keep it pretty even. Because Gardner's been pretty good when they have a good running game. And you look at the last game that he had at Lucasville Stadium, he was on fire, you know, three touchdowns, no interceptions. It's because they ran the ball extremely well and made it very simple for him to throw the ball when he had to. James Boyd, The Athletic, where you can read his work. Colts Raiders coming up this weekend from Lucas Oil Stadium. New Year's Eve, as a matter of fact, is when the game will be played. We'll be talking about it all to start off, of course, the new year. James, Happy New Year to you. Appreciate the time as always. Same to you both, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. James Boyd and continuing with the Colts theme uh, Eddie, you got a hold of Dwight, and he said 1 o'clock, right? Yes, sir. All right, we're going to dial up Dwight Freedy. We're going to do it just about 10 minutes from now and find out his thoughts on being a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Query and Company here on a Friday, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I've learned my lesson, Eddie. I've learned my lesson because I know that I have the propensity, if that's the right word, to repeat myself with stories. Tendency. Tendency. I don't want to be the crazy uncle. I'm not going to mention the fact for the 150th time on live radio and the second time on this program that there is no Southside Detroit. That led to a like nine day. Oh, that was great. Todd Meyer meltdown. And I love Todd Meyer, but I don't know. And it's not the former IU forward Todd Meyer. It's the executive producer and former producer for the Greg Garrison show, Todd Meyer, that works here at the station. Uh, Not the guy that wore the knee pads for like the entire time that he played at IU because he had knee surgery when he was like 17. Not that Todd Meyer, different guy. But he he got very upset with me about that when I mentioned one time that there's no Southside Detroit. I still see him in the hallway, and he mentions that. We don't need to revisit that conversation. That's right. Um, Twice as plenty. I'm looking forward to the Dwight Freeney conversation because, you know, we heard from Reggie Wayne yesterday, and Reggie Wayne basically said, and I can imagine, well, I can't imagine, actually, but did you guys ever have, I, I assume you did, you know, like in high school or middle school, and it was a little bit different for you guys because you had cell phones, you could text and that kind of thing. But back in the day when you had to, you guys are lucky that you never had the the drama, the the nerves of calling a girl at her house, possibly having her dad or somebody else answer and you've got to ask for her. And then, you know, they she comes to the phone and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, just to try to like talk on the phone at night and some girl you had a crush on. Or if they, if the dad would say like, well, she's busy right now, can she call you back? And then you're just waiting for the phone call. And you're trying to act like you're not waiting. You're trying to play it cool. But you're like, you know, oh, oh my gosh, like she hasn't called. Did anybody call? You, you know, you go out and shoot baskets. You come back and say, no, nobody called for you. That feeling of knowing that there's a potential phone call coming your way from the Football Hall of Fame to let you know that you are elected into immortality. But to know that you're in the, the list, you've made it down now to 15 and only five are going to get that call. Like, do they know what day – do they say, like, you know, you're going to get a call on Saturday between 2 and 4? Do you just sit by the phone? I mean, it would be torture, wouldn't it? I have to think there's some deadline there where it's like, hey, if you've not received a call by this point, it's not this time. Like, you go to the movies and you're just checking your phone the entire time because you're like, uh, has anybody called yet? They haven't called me yet. When are they going to call? I need a phone call, you know? I mean, it would be pretty – I don't know. I'm going to ask Dwight Freeney that right off the box, right? Do, do you think he will make his – pitch for why he should be in the Hall of Fame? You asked us. Curious about your opinion. You know, Freeney's a pretty humble dude. Um, I kind of like what Jimmy said. I mean, he, he's he's qualified enough that he can do it without it being necessarily arrogant. It's more factual than arrogant. Yep. But I'm just going to ask him flat out, like, state your case and see what he says. And see, you know, He may well say, I, I'm going to predict that he'll say, you know, that's actually for other people to make. I'm confident in what I've done. That's my prediction. That's a reasonable thing to um, say as well, right? Like that's not he is right in that regard. It's not up to him anymore. It's out of his control. Right. Well, as I said yesterday, when we knew that we were going to talk to him, we'll get his spin on things. See what I did there? Well Dwight Freeney's next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 
Rolling along on a Friday, and another three-day weekend is upon us, so hope you folks are set for that. Happy New Year to you a little bit early. Joining us now on the program for the second time, he is a finalist amongst the 15 finalists, as a matter of fact, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We talked a lot about it yesterday with Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney, and now number 93, the spin man himself, Dwight Freeney, joining us on the program. Dwight, how are you? I'm doing good. What about yourself? Uh, no complaints. Great time of year, obviously, right? And I can only imagine um, for you, you know, you have the holidays. I know you love being around the kids and you're enjoying retirement, but I am curious of this. What is the reaction? I mean, when you hear the news that you are again a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that you're that close to Canton, but then you've got to sit and wait, I would imagine it's got to be like a little bit of, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I'm super excited about it. Take me through just kind of the mindset of all of it. I think you hit it on the head. Um, I think last year taught me a good lesson. Um, And I tried hard last year not to let it affect my day-to-day, tried not to focus on it because you heard, you know, so many stories of, you know, hey, guys expecting to be first ballot Hall of Famers and all of a sudden you don't get that call um, saying that you are or just Hall of Fame in general. You know, you're in a finalist, 15 finalists, and you still don't get that call. So you hear that and you don't really understand how that feels until you don't get that call. You know, so I think this year, um, as of right now, I'm I'm trying to do a little bit of kind of what you said, where it's, you know, I'm focused. I'm not really hyper focused on it. Um, this is something that's not under my control. You know, I try to only worry about things that I can control, but this does mean a lot, right? So that's where it's kind of like you know, the catch twenty two of it. Like I I don't want to worry about it, but it means a lot. So you know, maybe I keep one eye open, <laughs> one eye closed and try to continue on with my day. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm going to ask a really dumb question, Dwight Freeney, which is not new to me by any stretch. But do you know – so, like, we always see – I'm fascinated by this process. We always see the video, right, of, like, the knock at the door of the guy getting the call that he's in the hall. Do you know what day that would be ahead of time? So, in other words, like, can you say to yourself, that's it, I'm going to a movie so they, don't, they can't even find me. So I'm not going to be disappointed. Like, how does it exactly work? Because I'd be like walking around the yard constantly looking for the camera crew. No, man, it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't actually know um, how it works now. You know, obviously, I didn't make it last year, so I have no idea. You know, I got a phone call from somebody saying, hey, you know, you're not going to be, you know, um, a finalist or not a finalist, but you're not going to be in the top five. So that's what I got. I don't know what the guys get when they actually go but that is a good point but do you know what day do you know what day it would be i guess is what i'm getting at they don't even they didn't even tell me what day they were just saying hey you know what you're going to get a call at some point this week and we'll let you know i'm like okay great you know now how do they coordinate all the other stuff with guys who've made it no idea maybe they coordinate with our wives our agents or whomever to have it set up to where as though if you're making it, there's a camera. I have no idea. But I know what I got. I got a phone call. Man, this would this feels like middle school all over again, waiting for some girl to call you back. Like, it, <laughs> it, it gives me kind of an anxiety, right? Yeah, it, it, definitely, it definitely is. It's something where you're just like, man, I hope I get this call and it's a good call. 
you know, and then when you don't get the call that day, you're like, okay, what's going on? Did I do something wrong type of feeling? Or, you know, when, when you get it and it's something good, which I haven't experienced, and so you're, you're you know, jumping, you know, touching the roof of your house, you know, in, in excitement. But, you know, it is what it is. I guess this is the process that everybody has to go through. Dwight, when was the moment where you felt like, whether it was during your playing career or post-playing days, I put together a Hall of Fame career. I put together a career that is worthy of consideration in Canton. I never thought about it. My entire career playing, I just played the game and I had a great time. You know, obviously, you know, you know, there are other things that happen um, to you potentially once you retire called the Hall of Fame if you if someone deemed it so or a group of people deemed it so. Um, but for the most part, you know, during my playing career, I never thought about it unless someone brings it up in a conversation and they say, you know, potential Hall of Fame or future Hall of Famer. And then that's when it kind of goes through your head, hey, maybe I am. You know, there's a lot of great players that aren't in the Hall of Fame, okay? And there's a lot of great players who are. So you don't know where you fall in that, you know? And, and when I retired, I did know five years is when that clock pretty much starts for me to be eligible. And for me to be eligible and be a finalist after my first year is an amazing feeling. Not so much amazing when you didn't make it. <laughs> after, you know, I mean, it's not a great feeling there. Uh, but you are recognized as somebody who has a good chance of getting it. Dwight Freeney is our guest. Dwight, one of the things I love about it here is – I've interviewed a lot of guys about a lot of accolades over their career, and the, the the most common answer is, you know, I don't get caught up in stuff like that. Da 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 da. And and I think we all know, based on human nature, that can't possibly be a hundred percent true. I love the fact that you're honest about the fact of, yeah, I mean, like it's it's a huge honor and maybe kind of nerve wracking, right? Do do you have a tendency, and I know that you have a great respect for everybody that's in that list with you, including your former teammate Reggie Wayne, but do you have a tendency to kind of look over the other guys and size yourself up against them? I mean, I think you have – it's just human nature. You know, I think, you know, you were right on that where you look and say, I got a pretty good chance this year, you know, for whatever reasons being. Hey, this guy – was on the list a bunch of times and didn't make it. Maybe this is your opportunity. Or maybe this guy, maybe they need a defensive end. You know, they don't have enough defensive ends on the list. So, you know, maybe I have a good opportunity. Or maybe there's no quarterbacks in this, you know, uh, this year's uh, draft or not draft, but um, process. So, therefore, hey, you know what? Because there's no quarterbacks, hey, they're going to take some other positions. I might have a better chance. I think that's just part of, part of it, okay? Anybody who's in this – top 15 is great players. Okay. They're great players that did great things. Um, all deserving to be in the hall of fame. I believe um, who goes first, who goes second. I don't know. It just depends on who the people who are deciding this and whatever film or whatever influences them. Um, but it doesn't take away from the talent and the great players that are on this list, regardless of who makes it. Cause I think anybody would say these 15, you know, um, are great players and they all deserve to be in, period. 
You know, one of the things I would think, Dwight Freeney, our guest, one of the things that would be really hard, Dwight, and I want you to expand on this or even tell me if it's not accurate. It may not be accurate. But when you're a great player in any sport, it means that you put in so many hours when other people were not around and you were in control of your own greatness. And when you went out on the field, for the most part, while it's a team sport, you were in control one-on-one against a lineman. And then suddenly to have the greatest honor of all taken completely out of your control has to be a totally foreign mindset and feeling for you. Well, I, I think it is, but obviously we're talking two different things, you know, it's, it's obviously accolades and awards and all those things are not under your control. That's already built into the cake. You already understand that totally. So when it happens or it doesn't happen, you're at peace with it because you understand that is part of the process. As a player, you have a lot more control. You don't have total control. There are things that happen where, you know, they, you know, you want to get five sacks, but they only threw four times. You know, it's like, you know, or they only gave you one single block and you're getting blocked by three guys and 20, you want to have a, a big sack at night or what have you. There are certain things you cannot control even the game of football where you love to control, but you can only control the things that you can control. And like you said, the work that you put in off the field, the things that you can do on the field that you can control, that's what you are uh, focused and hyper-focused on. This type of thing, it's, you don't have any control and you already know you don't. So it's, it is hard, but it's, you get it because everybody has to go through it if you're at this level. Colts legend Dwight Freeney is our guest. Dwight, you mentioned focusing on having fun and doing the best you can with the game. And, of course, your signature spin move leading to many a sack in your career is the most fun for Colts fans. I know for myself, I'm sure you got this all the time as a player, but playing Madden, there are a few things quite like hitting the spin move with you going into a sack. I've always wondered from a timing standpoint or when you lined up, when did you know, hey, this is the time to break it out? That, that whatever the opposing lineman's doing, this is the time for the spin, and it's going to get me a clear lane to the quarterback. Well, I think that happens primarily, um, you know, through film study for me. You know, I kind of knew based on what this guy did on a play-to-play basis, or when that formation happens, or whatever. You see openings, you see weaknesses. Um, and that was for me. Now, when you get in the game and you're actually going through it, the, the time that you spent studying um, that opponent, it starts to kind of reveal itself as far as, yeah, you know what? This is exactly what I saw on film. This is exactly what I think would have happened, you know? And then you, those things open up and we're like, okay, well, there it is. You can spin inside whenever you want. <laughs> you know, you can do this whenever you want. It's there. And, and, and for me, it was because of the amount of time and hours that I put in on studying the opponent. Now, not every opponent offensive tackle or in system will allow you to do those things. If the guy is sitting inside and he's waiting for you to spin, I don't care if you want to spin. You're not going to be able to spin inside just because he's playing you for it. You know, so you have to wait based on scheme, based on how he actually passed at you and the previous plays to know 
hey, you know what? This opening is happening, and I can catch him with this particular move. Did you ever spin so fast that you got kind of dizzy for a split second and lost sight of which direction you were going? Uh, no, you know what? I, I, I hadn't. Uh, I had not that I can remember. Um, you know, and if I, if for whatever reason, if I did, uh, you know, I, I retired at the right time. <laughs> I, I, for, me to, for me to spin um, and, and lose where I was, you know, uh, didn't happen. Often. That's probably a pretty good sign at that point. It's time to go down to Florida permanently, it's, it's right? It's time to go. Oh, I can't spin anymore. Let me go find a golf ball. <laughs> Dwight, you were obviously, Dwight Freeney, you know, you're a selfless guy. I think people that listen to this station know that because of your work with Indiana Donor Network and helping out and raising awareness for how people can, quite frankly, have a legacy that goes beyond their years, which you know, oddly, I guess, kind of ties into the Hall of Fame. So I know you're selfless, but I'm going to give you permission right now to be selfish. Give me Dwight Freeney's case. Sell for me why you should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, I, I would say this. Um, regardless of what happens, I, I do know this. I left my mark on the game of football. Um, I changed the game of football. And not too many players can say that. Um, they didn't draft guys my size that high in the first round. Um, we were considered undersized, um, a tweener, um, let's just say that. And now they don't say that that much. I know I changed the outlook on guys who are potentially undersized, right? I also know when you see a spin move, somewhere on that tree, of lineage tree, whatever, of spin moves, my name is somewhere on that tree, all right? So either a coach tried to emulate um, that based on film study or a direct correlation through a coach, um, somewhere, somehow, there is some type of tie there. Um, and they didn't teach really the spin moves that I did um, prior to me because they were ever, it was always taught, never turn your back to the quarterback. All right, and and that's all you did when you spun. Now you spin, you're, you're losing side of the quarterback for a split second. So when I see my spin move on video games, when I see my spin move being used in college and high school in the pros, I know where it came from in some way, some fashion. So I I do feel great about that. Um, and, and lastly, I think for me, you know, I played the game hard. I played it how it was supposed to be played. You know, um, maybe the stats may not show because you know, sometimes the sacks numbers lie. You know, sometimes you can get a sack and just be completely unblocked. You can get a sack if you get pancaked by your offensive tackle and the quarterback trips over you. And you can get a sack if the quarterback happens to run out of bounds and you have to be the close, closest person. So not all sacks are equally um, the same. I know I worked very hard for my sacks, and I know I had to sometimes fight through two guys to get there. And um, I'll put my tape up against anybody's that ever played. When you go in underneath your bust, it will list the teams of service equally, but the Indianapolis Colts will be the first because it's the first where you played and the longest, obviously, but the first. What will it mean to you? to represent the Colts franchise and to potentially be going in with your teammate, Reggie Wayne? I mean, 
I, I don't really think that um, words can describe that that feeling if that ever happened. Um, just because it's it's one of those things where it's an ultimate joy, right? It's, it's something that you you uh, that's like on the top of Mount Rushmore, you know, at the end of the rainbow type of feeling that you know you just you're going to be obviously ecstatic and happy. It just means so much knowing that hey, if I ever got in. And I'm in there with one of my teammates who went out there and sacrificed the same time and did the same types of things that I did. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it would be an amazing feeling. It would honestly be amazing. And I'll be highly honored, you know, to wear that horseshoe even more if that were ever to happen. Will you guys you know, talk not, to one another about the process and, you know, just going through it as you have before? Nah, you know, I I did I didn't talk to him much before, you know. It was just the last process that I went in. Reggie went through this process a few times prior to me, and I can only imagine what he goes through every time because he's been on that top fifteen finalist list a few times and hadn't got in. And it must it must suck, you know, for him not to be finally called. He deserves it. Um, so for me, and I, I think having a conversation with Reggie about it, I, first of all, I don't want to bring up any sore spots and I also don't want him to get his, you know, expectations up. Like, like how I'm not trying to get my expectations up. If it happens, it happens. And and it's a great honor. If it doesn't happen, then Hey, maybe next year mentality. And, uh, that's how I like to see it at least. Colts great. Dwight Freedy joins us. Dwight, you mentioned that not all sacks are created equal. Is there one, maybe two, for you when you look back at your career that are right up there that you you relish in if you ever look back? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's whenever you can close a game with a sack. Whenever, you know, you, you like to think about it when you were a kid, you know, and, it, and I think it primarily happens in other sports where it's basketball or baseball, you know, basketball, there's like three seconds left on the clock. You have the ball and you shoot it up and you score and your team wins the game. Or if it's baseball, it's, you know, you're at the plate and your team is tied and you have to hit a home run to win the game. It's, it's that type of feeling for me. And I, and I was lucky enough to have two of those moments um, we were playing the Dolphins, and I was on the cold, so I was playing the Dolphins, and uh, I ended up sacking the quarterback in the fourth quarter, closing the game. Our team wins. It was a hard-fought battle. I think that might have been in 2003 um, when we went down there, or it could have been four, 2003. And then the next time I remember doing it was when I was playing for the Arizona Cardinals, and I had a spin move versus the Vikings, and it was the fourth quarter, and I happened to hit the quarterback, cause fumble. Our team recovered it. Game over. Um, those are the moments on the sacks that I would remember the most because we won the game. Our team won the game because of that. And that's the most stat that matters, right, is the game, the big W, the win. So when we win the game based on that particular play, it's it, it definitely is the top feeling and a top mem- memory that I would have. 
Dwight Lastly, and I appreciate your time, Dwight Freeney. You know, we, as I'd mentioned, we hear you on this radio station trying to raise awareness for the Indiana Donor Network and, and how organ donation has helped out for young people in particular, but how anybody can be an organ donor. Um, so I know you're up to that. Have you enjoyed that particular service, if you will, and awareness that you've raised? And what else now are you doing aside from making sure that you're not staring at the phone waiting for the call? Well, obviously, with the the, um, the donor organ donation, um, that is something that you know, like you mentioned earlier, right? It's it's how you find a way, you know, uh, to to give back, and and, and that's the ultimate way, right? You know, um, you know, you can donate your organs for someone else to live their life. Right as you pass, and they you can help other people live a full life. You know, it's it's something that is is an amazing, amazing thing. Once it was brought to my attention that that, that is something that uh, that could be done and that needs to be done, um, and uh, I was you know happy to be involved with that. And as far as the, the second question. Golf course, it's, it's, it'll be called a golf course. That is where all my attention goes to, man. When when uh, when I'm waiting for this call, all right. So I'll be out there hitting the ball, trying to figure out why the ball won't go where I wanted to go. And um, if that call comes, you know, hey, uh, hopefully I'm available to take that call. Um, but I'll definitely be focused on something else, not waiting by the phone. Well, hopefully this is the last time we have this particular conversation, but I will warn you that when the phone call comes, within probably a week, you're going to get another one saying, can we get you back on the air to talk about the fact you're a Hall of Famer? (laughs) Absolutely. No problem, man. But Dwight, we we always appreciate it, man. Best of luck through the process. Hit the ball straight, and by all means, Happy New Year to you. All right, man. Same to you. Take care of yourself. I appreciate it. Dwight Freeney here on the program. We'll continue the conversation. Roll along and get you set for the weekend here. Aquarian Company, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thank you to Dwight Freeney for his time. We'll have the podcast up shortly on the website. He's so well-spoken. Very. Soft-spoken almost, right? Yeah. And like he enunci- he he has better enunciation than probably any broadcaster. I'm a little surprised we, that Dwight Freeney has never done – maybe he has and I'm just naive to it – I. I'm sure he's had the opportunity, but to just do like some studio work or analysis work because, you know, he's very, just the way he speaks is just super comfortable and easy to to listen to and understand. But also, you know, he's a nice looking guy. He's a well, he's a good looking guy um, and just very, I don't know, just very pleasant. Like he just has a very pleasant demeanor about him, which is interesting when you consider the way that he played. And, and it's funny, when he was here as a player, he, he wasn't one. I mean, he was definitely media friendly. I mean, I think people enjoyed covering him. But, you know, there were just so many guys on that team that, you know, Brackett was such an outspoken guy for the defense and kind of the 
the leader in terms of of sound bites to use a media term. And then you obviously had Reggie Wayne, you had Edge, you had you know Peyton. It goes without saying, uh, there were a lot of guys on that team in that locker room that that we in the media kind of would gravitate towards. And you know, Freedy was one that always took the time to talk, but he was just so soft spoken. But would would be good to see him get in. By the way, uh, what we do know is that we don't know if whether Dwight Freeney is going to get the call from the Hall of Fame. We do know that Zach Moss is not going to get the call this weekend, right, Eddie? That is correct. Shane Steichen announced that Zach Moss is out as he's dealing with that forearm injury still, and he said Michael Pittman Jr. cleared concussion protocol, and he will be ready to go for Sunday's game. So Pittman Jr. is a huge, huge piece of that, huge piece. Um, before we go on to talking more again about the Colts and the Raiders, and then also obviously the Pacers last night with their game in Chicago, let's go back to yesterday, Jimmy, just coming off of that conversation with Dwight Freeney. I thought he, I was surprised actually when I said, you know, Hey, give me your case. I was surprised that he was as candid as he was. I loved his answer though, where he said, I changed the game. And you know, I mentioned that yesterday. The one thing about him is the, he, there are very few players that you can say, what is their signature move? What is their signature play? You know, that's what separates Kareem in basketball. Freeney definitely has a signature move, right? And a move that, that he is largely credited for. But if you look, five of these names. Now, Jimmy, I want you to give me your first instinct as to whether or not it's somebody that you would put in as a sure Hall of Famer above Dwight Freeney, Okay. I'm going to give you the name, and you just on your on your knee jerk, yes or no? All okay, right. Eric Allen. Yes. You're saying he, you would put him in yes. above Freeney? Okay. Yes. Uh, Jared Allen. No. Willie Anderson. No. Jar. I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the first name correct here. Jari Evans, is that right? Please Jerry so. Jerry Evans. No. The fact that I had to ask about the first name probably answers that question, right? Uh, Antonio Gates. It's a tie, so I'll say yes because okay. I think he's the one of, if not the best tight end of that generation. Rodney Harrison, no. Devin Hester, no. Tory Holt, yes. Andre Johnson, no. Julius Peppers, yes. Fred Taylor, yes. Reggie Wayne, no. Patrick Willis. No. Darren Woodson. No. So you have it coming down between Dwight Freeney and Antonio Gates because you have four definitively you say yes, and then the fifth spot, you have a tie. Antonio Gates is a tough I, – I agree with you. I mean, he's one of – and, you know, Antonio Gates actually, interesting that you would mention those two because Dwight Freeney's quote there – Regardless of what happens, I changed the game of football, and not many guys can say that. You know who can say that? Probably Antonio Gates. Because before Antonio Gates, you didn't see a lot of the college basketball player. like guy. In other words, tight ends were all guys that had played tight end their whole career, and Antonio Gates was the first player that they went out and basically said, he has the body and the footwork to be a tight end, so we're going to teach him the position and make him a tight end. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing more of it, right? I mean, 
I can't remember which one came first between he and Marcus Pollard, but you know, you got Moali Cox and you just see more and more of teams that are doing that kind of a thing at the tight end position. And he was the first. He kind of broke the mold in terms of breakthrough players like that. Um, great player, Antonio Gates. And Antonio Gates had, not unlike Dwight Freeney, kind of has the benefit, Jimmy, of the fact that his resume went far longer than it was. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he played a lot longer than people thought he was going to play. I think of wide receivers, just wide receivers that are eligible in this finalist selection committee's decision. Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne. Maybe because of Hester, two of those could get in because he's so unique. But otherwise, I think only one of those four winds up getting in of that specific position group. So that's a spot that likely goes away. I think Antonio Gates probably gets in. I think Eric Allen, like I mentioned, probably gets in. So yeah, you are going right down to the wire. But ultimately, I think that if it is a last spot, and maybe I would sub in Gates for somebody else that I said yes to, I think Freeney gets in just solely on when you match up the accolades and then the little extra cherry on top of a signature identifier of what his career was, which was the spin move. I think he probably gets in on that. Do me a favor. Pull up Dwight Freeney's stats, and I'm looking for total number of sacks. I'm looking for all pro appearances. Okay. I'm just going to go off the... The Colts did a great piece highlighting both Wayne and Freeney that has most of this information. Okay. 125 and a half sacks, 26th all-time for Freeney. Okay. He had three first-team all-pro appearances and was a seven-time Pro Bowler. Okay. Again, I think the committee really still values Pro Bowls, but like in today's NFL, that should be what all pros is what should be. Correct. And I think it still does matter more, but the fact that Pro Bowls even account for Part of the nod is weird to me. Okay. It's a glorified fan vote at this point. Jared Allen, 136 sacks and a four-time All-Pro performer. Um, Julius Peppers, 159 and a half sacks, a four-time All-Pro performer. NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, a nine-time Pro Bowler. All-decade team for the 2000s and the 2010s. Uh, Freeney also all-decade team for the 2000s. 11 postseason sacks, tied for ninth all-time. Led the NFL at one point with nine forced fumbles. Uh, seven seasons of double-digit sacks. I, it's tough, right? You're looking at all these resumes because they're not, they're not going to put three players in the same position group in, right? And I would, I would be surprised if they put two in. If it is, I think it's Peppers and Freeney. I think Peppers is pretty hard to overlook. I think I think Peppers gets in. You think Peppers gets in on the first try? That's his first year. On the I mean, he's yeah, he's going to be really hard to keep out. I would agree. Honesty. I would agree. If it's two defensive ends, we're in agreement. It's Peppers and then either Allen or Freeney. It's not Freeney and Allen. Like Peppers doesn't get left behind. Allen has been on the ballot four times as a finalist. This is the second time as a finalist for Dwight Freeney. Jared Allen. Right, right, right. Um, I had to specify. I think the postseason aspect, Freeney said it in the interview, right? Not all sacks were created equal. Correct. I think there's enough of that from his side of the ledger, even though I love Jared Allen as a player. I think that he probably gets left behind if it's two defensive end. It's Peppers and Freeney. Peppers has 52 forced fumbles, Freeney 47. Um. 
I, I listen. I think Freeney's wonderful. I, Peppers to me is a more solid case of. I, I think you guys are in agreement, right? Peppers, probably. Yeah. If I'll put it to you this way, if only one defensive end gets in, correct. If Peppers doesn't get in, Freeney's not getting in, correct. That's the easiest way to say it, right? Yes. It's a question of whether or not both of them get in, and then you get into the whole different discussion of, you know, the log jam behind who who's who's waiting in the wing, that kind of thing, and. You know, you, you've got to look at it. It would be very difficult if you're one of those players to not look at it and go, okay, I've got to get in now because Larry Fitzgerald is, is you know, soon to be eligible. And then, you know, you start looking at other names of players that are soon to be eligible and you're like, you just want to get it over with, right? Especially for Reggie Wayne, because not that there is a long list next year, but the following year, that's when Larry Fitzgerald is eligible. And there's a couple other big names that are eligible. Unfortunately for both Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne, one of them is going to cannibalize the other, assuming one of them gets in because the argument you have based on why they shouldn't get in is, well, they weren't the primary face for the entire right. part of their career. Yeah, I mean, like I said yesterday, look how long it took John Stallworth to right. get in, right? Right. And I mean, that was a great trivia question for a long time of like, which member of the Steelers is not in? Nobody would have guessed John Stallworth and then, you know, took forever and then eventually he got in, but it was after kind of... You go through a whole cycle, right? A whole cycle of them, which is tough. Um, you did or did not, Jimmy Cook, watch the – now, ESPN, they screwed this up, right? How do you have – so you watched the Pop-Tart Bowl, right? I, I had it on, yes. What was the Pop-Tart Bowl f- formerly? We talked about this yesterday, right? Which one was it? Was that the one that was ended that the up one being... that's like the Meineke Bowl and the Russell Athletic Bowl and all no, that? No, that was the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. You're right. Okay. So what was the Pop-Tart Bowl? Where do they play the Pop-Tart Bowl? That was in, was it the Holiday Bowl? Orlando. Oh, Orlando. So that's the Citrus Bowl? It was formed as the Sunshine Football Classic. Then, oh man, the Blockbuster Bowl. Okay, I remember that, yep. CarQuest Bowl, Micron PC Bowl, Tangerine Bowl. Man, Champ Sports, Russell Athletic, Camping World, Cheez-It, and now Pop-Tart. So this is the former Cheez-It Bowl. Correct, but Cheez-It still has a bowl. Like, I'm... No, I'll look the, it up. Isn't it Cheez Its and not Cheez It Bowl? Okay, man. Come on. <laughs> no, like there's a there's a difference. There was a big old thing about this. I, I, I missed that. It says Cheez It in their branding. Correct. So I'm saying the brand name. So you're saying that the bowl went plural? Yeah. So like one little cracker's a Cheez It, but they went Cheez Its. Is that right? No. Now you get. Here's the thing. They had a marketing meeting with the Cheez-Its folks and they were somebody got fired because they're like, look, somebody's idea was to dump Cheez-Its crackers over the winning coach. And they're like, after the Mayo Bowl, forget about it. After you dunk the disgusting, horrific devil spawn of Mayo over a coach, then everything else is secondary. Even the Gatorade thing takes a back seat to the horrific nature of it and the visuals of it and the Mayo dripping off of first off can we just confess to this fact how much water are they putting in with that horrific gelatinous it, mayo it's interesting crap? that you say that mayo because drip. in years past it has looked i apologize audience thicker and this year it did look like water was added i would agree with you yes it's dripping off the only thing more disgusting than mayonnaise is mayonnaise dripping off the brim of a hat did you see the sideline? And I apologize, I don't know his name. You see the sideline reporter 
as they dumped the coach in the Duke's mayo, took two French fries, and he dipped it on his shirt and ate it. It was great. And then he went back up to the bill, and he did the same thing, and he ate it. Did you see during the game, they had mayo, nachos, and then a... um, a bourbon brown sugar mustard, I think, and they put it on donuts. The comedy of dipping the fry on the coach's shirt after he got dumped was just well. That guy was kiss. it was great dipping his French fries in mayo during the I had telecast. Seen that part. It's all the sideline part, but just yeah. the, to have the wherewithal to go take a dip of the coach's jacket to get the mayo. Jake, you okay? It was great. Th- there are only two teams that could play in this mayo bowl. And it would be West Virginia and North Carolina. Damn straight. I, I mean, maybe next year they visit the possibility of Mississippi partaking. Arkansas is probably a candidate. Hey, but I, you're running out real quick of places that actually would would dip fries into mayonnaise. I'm not saying that you need to fund it, but if it ever gets to a low point for any of the teams that we root for, well, let's say Clemson gets in there. And I think you'd probably tell me, well, no, they're not going to. They would say no. Dabo has no interest in getting dumped in mayo. But if he did, I think we should go. I'm not doing anything voluntarily (laughs) that involves mayonnaise. I mean, kidnapping seems a bit extreme, but we're willing to go to great lengths around here. (laughs) Well, the Mayo Bowl is currently a team from the ACC and a team from the SEC. Uh, That's an in. That's an in. I, I cannot tell you guys. The definition of conflicted that would be anything greater than if Clemson got into the Duke's Mayo Bowl. That would be, I, I mean, I don't know what I would do. You know what I mean? And it's played in North Carolina. It's in Charlotte, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that would be tough. But you, So you did or did not watch the, at least, because aren't there videos after the fact, I think we have them up on the website, of the players eating the... the did you see like the? That is the part I watched. Did you see the part, the, the video of the making of that pop tart? No, I mean it was unbelievable. No. Yeah, they, they, I mean that was a. What do you mean making? The mascot jumped in and then he transformed into a pop tart. I don't understand. <laughs> they, they didn't make anything. There, there were internal, there's internal footage from inside the toaster of the the pop tart elves that make it, and they they showed. I mean the whole deal and all that str- video should have been is severing the limbs of that mascot and then rolling the pop tart out. What more? What, I don't understand what else was done. Well, they basically did exactly that. The Pop-Tart, look, at some point, these are all going to jump the shark. I think they might have already. A Pop-Tart literally jumped into a toaster and <laughs> people popped like out it, an though. mascot. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you mean reaching the jump the shark point and people are like, okay, this is too over the top. Yes. Like, this, it, we, we've kind of reached the summit, have we not? I mean, what more could there be? I mean, we're dumping mayo on people and, again, looking like it's a cannibalized act. With a pop tart, okay, in a post game celebration. Then what? What we know is this: clearly, the city of Indianapolis needs a bowl game. Here, right? Here. Yep. We have a massive stadium that has hosted a Super Bowl. We have built the imaging and marketing of this city around sports. Now, l- let me give you a little bit of a a, a history lesson. I don't mean you two guys. I'm saying people listening in general. I think most people, you'd have to be of a certain age to, to truly grasp a lot of this. Indianapolis was Indianapolis. It was Naptown. 
it was a city that was known for the Indianapolis 500. Kurt Vonnegut once said, the Indianapolis, the city of Indianapolis is the Indianapolis 500 and then miniature golf 364 days a year. And in the late 70s and into the early 80s, once Dick Luger did Unigov and they had built Market Square Arena, the first real venture into sports was they decided that they were going to host the National Sports Festival in 1982, which was the 1982 terms of essentially saying the AAU championships in all sports. So it was basically an Olympics for high school aged athletes, soon to be college athletes. And the 1982 National Sports Festival was Indianapolis's introduction into its power and capability of becoming the amateur sports capital of the world. And it recruited USA Track and Field to eventually move here and USA Swimming and Diving because of the natatorium eventually moving here, etc. And all of a sudden, Indianapolis was like, we have something here of being this place that has wonderful facilities for amateur sports to take place. And that parlayed into the Pan American Games in 1987, which was huge. And then, obviously, the Colts had moved here three years prior to that, and and we moved into a big league town. And we eventually, even though those amateur sports properties stayed within Indianapolis, we kind of shed that image because we became a professional sports capital. But more so, what Indianapolis became known as is the finest and the most experienced and the most hospitable and the most well-run, well-oiled host city of major sporting events in the United States. And that's how they got a Super Bowl here, and they parlayed off the fact that the world's largest single-day spectator sport takes place here. So with all of that, the time has come for Indianapolis to host a bowl game. Now, it seemingly would be called I would imagine the Crossroads Bowl or the Circle City Bowl, even though you had the Circle City Classic for years, so there maybe is a conflict of that. Um, the the Indie Bowl, whatever. But we now have jumped the shark enough where clearly the title sponsor is St. Elmo and the winning coach gets dunked in or like has oh. to put on goggles and dive into the shrimp cocktail sauce, right? I mean, there's no like like why stop now? Let's go, right? I mean, the other option would be to be dunked in Lucas Oil, but that's messy, <laughs> and and then you get like the environmentalists out there that are protesting. You know, it, it gets ugly, right? Yeah. But you're in Lucas Oil Stadium, why, the Lucas Oil Bowl. Why, why not? I mean, how they sponsor everything else. Let's go, right? Just don't put Boomer in a toaster. Let's, yeah, let's, that let's, would not let's go ha- well. Let's have lines here, now, people. Bowser, they did that. He lives. Now they say he lives on a farm. Man, I asked that about once a year. I asked. I'll be in a Pacers game. And be like, man. Bowser ever coming back? <laughs> Mom uh, and Dad said he just went upstate. And he, 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 he has a nice life. Bowser lives at well. It's been a while. Bowser <laughs> lived in a farm for many, many years. I don't know about now. Your Boomer would have to be at the bowl game, right? Yes. Boomer's there. Blue's there. Both Butler Blue and Blue Colts mascot. But in the end, it comes down to the shrimp cocktail sauce, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that? Wouldn't that have to be it? Yes. Why do we not have a bowl game? Like, there has to be a reason for this. Is it because of scheduling conflicts between the Colts and all of the big concerts that were supposed to come to Lucas Oil Stadium because it's a multi-purpose event and that was going to pay off the huge taxes that we had on it? Or is it because, are are they having a hard time getting colleges to come for a bowl game here because we have the highest hospitality tax in the country and nobody wants to pay 17% hotel tax for a hotel downtown? Look, I don't mean to highlight the fact that you're in the second half century of your life. 
but you have the most think, connections of the room, and the biggest thing you need for a bowl game is that sweet, sweet cash, baby. That's what you need. You open up the checkbook, those bowl games will come calling. Okay, how about but this? But somebody's got to do that. <laughs> Neil Brown, who is the finest chef that you're going to find in the Western Hemisphere, says it should be the Wonder Bread Bowl because Wonder Bread was invented here. That's that's hard to argue. Okay. You have, that's why they had the balloon release, by the way. at the You know, the the balloon release, which they no longer do, but the, the balloons on Wonder Bread, on the packaging of Wonder yeah. Bread, are because the inventor of Wonder Bread had been at the Indy 500, seen the balloon release, loved the aesthetics of it, said it was a wonder, and then when the bread came about, they used the balloon, the image of the balloons was inspired by the Indianapolis 500 balloon release. So there's all kinds of tie-ins there for sure. If we're now, just the Wonder trying- Bread, though, would have to go with the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and I, I got no part of it. No, I got a better idea for you. If we're just trying to torture the coaches that win, if that's our goal, you just take the shrimp cocktail sauce and you just put a nice little generous amount, spread it in between two pieces of Wonder Bread, and it's just a shrimp cocktail sauce <laughs> sandwich for the winning coach. That's not bad. That's better than a mayo sandwich, right? <laughs> for crying out loud. Nothing I, worse than that. To be clear, I'm not putting just mayo and bread. I need something in between. I understand you draw the line at if mayo's there, you're out, but you, I'm not making a mayo sandwich. I mean, I've been to West Virginia or North Carolina. I'm not saying people it's don't. I'm saying I there. Are you kidding me? I'm not saying people don't. That's like don't. talking about don't. Texas and saying you don't eat cattle. I have a line, Jake. Well, I'm glad you do, but I'm telling you, like, <laughs> those people don't. People throwing back mayo and just taking big squirts like they're chugging a Miller lot. Get out of here. I okay, can't. so thank you. Thank you. So you are you are agreeing with me with that part of the of horrific it. nature of the mayonnaise of, of people bonging By mayonnaise. Itself, that's awful. Yes. yes. I'm right there with you. But a little bit on a tenderloin? Yeah. I think Dr. Mottman should go and hand out his business card at the Duke's Mayo Bowl because if you are bonging... <laughs> put it on the back of the mayo. Yes. If you're bonging a pint of Duke's Mayo, you are going to need yourself a cardiological interventionist. I'm did telling you, you right take now. A you need an interventionist of, in general. Did you take a 10-second hit of Duke's Mayo in a college bowl game? <laughs> Dr. Mottman might be able to help. That's right. Mottman's here for you. Speaking of college football, we're going to talk about uh, some Indiana tie-ins and how locally there's interest for you. You might be saying to yourself... Look, I'm an Indiana fan. I'm a Purdue fan. I'm a Notre Dame fan. I'm an Ohio State fan. You might be saying that and saying the college football playoffs, I don't know, man. I'm just not interested in it because I'm a fan of local teams and, you know, they're not in there, obviously. But there are local there are local tie-ins in areas where we can make it interesting for Indianapolis folks, and we're going to do that from a national perspective in 10. So, Eddie... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You seem to think a lot like some of our show listeners, Eddie. This from my buddy Steve, the Brickyard Bowl. Put the field on the main straightaway at IMS north of the Pagoda. Now, the straightaway is not wide enough, obviously, right? It would have to be in the infield. Right. You'd have stands and suites on both sides with the pagoda in view. And then, of course, it goes without saying, the winning coach gets dunked in milk, right? Yeah. I probably should have my Hoosier card revoked for not having thought of that initially. Right? Yeah. But it's all of us because none of us had the idea. So we're going down together in style. Well, I did. Oh, you had the idea? I thought he said that. I thought he said a listener. You obviously said it don't in. listen in between breaks. Did you say a listener sent that in, or did you say Eddie did it? Well, Eddie mentioned it as soon as we okay. went to break. Okay. I mean, that's. I'm still mad at Eddie for correcting me about Cheez Its versus Cheez It. So sorry, I tuned him out there. Do you guys break. know how, by the way, um, 
the native of Alabama that we just heard Jim Neighbors ended up singing back home again in Indiana annually at the 500. He was at the 500 in 19, I believe it was 72, Tony Holman had invited him, and he was there as a dignitary, basically, because he was a huge celebrity, and celebrities came to the 500, and Tony Holman came up to him before the race and said, hey, do you want to sing our song in the pre-race? And Jim Neighbors thought he meant the national anthem. Said, yeah, sure, okay. And he goes, great. And then handed him the lyrics to Back Home Again in Indiana, and it was like, what the heck is this? (laughs) And he ended up singing it, and he did such a good job, they rolled with it. And he did it, you know, obviously a number of times. There were years he was not there, but for the most part, he was the primary singer of Back Home Again in Indiana. Uh, By the way, I probably shouldn't mention counter-programming, but I will anyway. Kentucky just returned the opening kickoff of the second half for 100 yards for a touchdown, so they now lead Clemson 21-10. Clemson, by the way, has a national football record, an NCAA record. Would you like to know what it is, gentlemen? Yes, please. I only say because it's pertinent to this game today. Uh, Clemson has won a postseason game, meaning a game after the regular season was complete, be it a playoff game, a bowl game, or a conference championship okay. game. They have won a postseason game for 12 consecutive seasons. That is an NCAA record. They well, have not coming. yet won one this year. It's coming to an end, unfortunately. It probably is. Hey, would you be proud right now if this is the Duke's Mail Bowl? No, I'd be boycotting. No, but I'm... I'm saying if it was had, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, I'd be glad they're down twenty one ten. That's what was my question. Yes. You'd be very happy about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Because I would in my heart of hearts, I would know you that Clemson was intentionally Dabo? taking the game to avoid the Mayo Bath. You don't want to see Dio uh get the Mayo Bath? Dabo? Dabo? Sorry, I don't know why I said Dio. No. I don't want to see anybody that I consider to be like that I like, anybody, you know. No, I don't want mayonnaise near anything of importance in my life. What about Derek Schultz since he tweeted the Have video? I, okay. They can dunk Derek all they want, right? <laughs> Just like those mini bites pretzels. <laughs> we'll talk college football playoff next. It's not often. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. That you get an opportunity to talk to a Greek god like our next guest. Okay. He's been on these airways many a time. You know why he's a Greek god? Because he doesn't eat mayonnaise. <laughs> that could be the leadoff question for our <laughs> next guest as we get set for both the college football playoffs as well as maybe an early look at some draft conversations. You've heard him on the program before. He's Thor Nystrom, college football and NFL draft analyst for Fantasy Pros. Thor, happy early New Year to you. I guess we'll start with Jake's question. Mayonnaise, yes or no? Yes, but not on Pop-Tarts. I eat them both, but separately. <laughs> so, wait, so you're not horrified by mayonnaise? Uh, I was starting to get horrified deeper into that broadcast. Yes, thank you. Chugging the, the milkshakes, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, Thor, in the air now, we're going to talk college football playoff, but let me begin with this on a serious note because we were talking about, and we've had a lot of fun with it, right, as probably every radio show in the country has about mayo and Pop-Tarts and whatever else. So let me throw you something that popped into my brain yesterday, Okay. With all of the corporate sponsorships with bowl games now and with the, 
you know, with some of these court, you know, companies using bowl games to become a trending item for a few days about their brand. How far away are we from some sort of retirement investment company building their brand by utilizing the following proposal? And that is a bowl game that they sponsor where they tout themselves as the first bowl game that is going to give financial reward to each player on the winning team to incentivize that all of the players show up and to make the game interesting now that we're in the NIL world and it's the wild, wild west. How far away are we from it? It's coming. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting close, particularly when that uh, 12-team CFP opens up. Correct. I don't think you're going to see it the first couple years, but I think it's coming right after I that. I mean, doesn't it seem like if we went with the like Thor and Quarry investments, right? So we are a, a retirement investment banking firm. What better way yeah. to let people know that we can help you grow your money and your long-term vision of being ahead of the curve financially than to sponsor the very first bowl game that is paying the players, right? I love I love that. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing that, uh, you know, just like the Super Bowl, right? You you incentivize the the winning roster with a bonus, the losing roster, the players on that, they, they also get a bonus, uh, less or so, but they still get one. And then the other thing that they're going to need to do in the new 12-team CFP era is ensuring the surefire NFL draft prospects because that's the other thing they'll say. Why, you know, why will I play if if I could get injured? You know, three more games, whatever. And that, that's how you do it. You you put a loss of value uh, insurance policy on them. That's what Jake Butt had, the Michigan tight end. So some of these other guys, um, you know, they they get some of that back, whatever. If if they do happen to get injured, but it's a two pronged thing that's going to uh, ensure that we don't have opt outs in that twelve team era. Okay, so let that parlays nicely into one of the local players that is of interest in the college football playoff because he's a guy that saw at Indiana his career kind of derailed by injury. He bounced back. He's been a wonderful story. Michael Penix Jr., does he have now – is he an electric enough player? You know, we've seen a lot of great players, Thor. Michael Vick comes to mind. You know, a lot of great players that get to the college football playoff and and then all of a sudden – teams have kind of figured out how to slow him down a little bit just enough where the rest of the roster can't lift him. does Pinnix have enough to carry Washington here for two more stages there's a shot yeah and the reason why is Washington matches up really well against Texas Texas their defense shuts down any run game so this is not going to be a good game for Dylan Johnson I, I don't think but Penix is going to be able to throw into their weakness with the three elite wide receivers that he has Dunze is probably going to go in the top 10 McMillan could go late round one, early round two. And then they have Polk as well. They also have two good receiving tight ends. And by the way, Dylan Johnson's a very good receiving back. He originally signed with Mike Leach at Mississippi State to play in the air raid because, you know, that's a skill of his. But Texas's pass defense is not nearly as good as their run defense. That's where you attack them. So there's a path absolutely for Washington pulling off that upset. And then you, you get to the next round. I, you know, I, I think either of those teams, they, they would match up okay with. You can get Alabama down the field in the, in the passing game. It's hard to run on them, especially outside the tackles, but you can throw down the field on them. Uh, we've seen that over and over again this year. They, they just have a weakness back there. Michigan, I think, is the most complete team, but you would give uh, Washington a puncher's chance in that. I mean, a, a team that was not as good, a similar-ish team that wasn't nearly as qualitatively good as, as Washington as last year, TCU, obviously slapped around, maybe not, that might be going a little far, but controlled that game and and upset Michigan. So I I think uh, Washington has a shot for sure. 
Thor Nystrom is our guest, college football analyst for Fantasy Pros. Thor, when you look at the Alabama-Michigan matchup and focusing on the Crimson Tide, so much of this year has been about their inability to put opponents away and often be kind of inconsistent at times for the majority of their season, despite the fact that they were able to get here and ultimately beat Georgia. Which Bama team do you think we wind up seeing on Monday? Is it the one that put Georgia away, or is it the one that for most of the year played with their food or often struggled at times to completely close out games? Yeah, you know how they say in the UFC, styles make fights? Yeah. For, for me, Alabama is the college football equivalent of that. They do some things at an elite level. They're top three in the nation at it. And some things, they're absolutely horrible at it. So on offense, when they get their run game going, they are elite at throwing down the field then. But when the run game's not going, if Milrow's not scrambling around effectively, if Chase McClellan doesn't get going, the deep passing game tends to not get going. And that's when you see the whole offense come down. They, they need one with the other. And then on defense, they're elite at shutting down the concepts outside the tackles, zone concepts, the concepts that take a little bit of time to develop, stuff like that, because Alabama's second-level speed is ridiculous. They will get there. You're not faster than them. You're not beating them around the corner. Just stop doing that. The way that you can grind out yards against Alabama on the ground, you got to go right at them, power concepts, very straightforward, no trickery, and then you can grind out efficiency in that way. In the Georgia game, the very first drive, Georgia had an effective offensive strategy where it was the meat and potatoes runs and then throwing down the field. That's how you attack Alabama. The rest of the game was one of the more bizarre offensive strategy changes or that, that I've seen. Uh, Georgia went away from that. All their running concepts is the zone stuff outside. And then the passing game, they got super-duper conservative, which then you're just going into the wood chipper of the strength of Alabama's pass defense. They got the elite outside corners, Kool-Aid McKinnistry being the, the one that we're going to see in the draft here in April. But um, I, I think Michigan, they're able to uh, address that. They're able to go at the, the weaknesses there. You have Blake Corum with the power running game. Michigan, their offensive line has won the Joe Moore Award the last two years. They had eight different offensive linemen that were on the Senior Bowl watch list this preseason. Even coming off the two straight Joe Moore Award wins is the best offensive line in the nation. And I know that Michigan's uh, passing game does tend conservative, but keep in mind that's against poor competition. When they get the big leads, they don't have they don't have to do that. Remember the Ohio State game that ended the 2022 regular season when we hadn't seen JJ McCarthy throwing downfield, but Ohio State had the weakness of of getting ripped for the long passing plays. JJ McCarthy went bombs away in that game, and Michigan absolutely slapped around Ohio State. I think you're going to see something similar here. Um, I I like Michigan in that game. Is this Thor Nystrom is our guest in the college football playoff era? You know, there, there typically was always one team that you're like, okay, their resume has them there, but you just kind of knew they weren't on the same level as the other three. Um, is this the most balanced one to four that we've had in the era? I think it might be. Yeah, and you know, maybe it's a famous last words thing. We'll have to see. But yeah, there's been times where that, especially that four seed, they're just, you know, it's they're walking the green mile into that game and you know they're going to get annihilated. Uh, Some of the big 10 teams that have been, you know, sent up Michigan State, you know, and stuff like that. You you remember 
the Florida, if Florida State had been there, I think that's what we would have gotten. I take my hat off to the committee for doing the tough thing, but the right thing of putting Alabama in there because you have four teams now that absolutely could win the national title. And again, you, you have the very interesting matchups of the, the you know th- these teams that have different elite strengths, and then they have some weaknesses. You have some fascinating in-game matchups here. I, I do think this is going to be one of the best college football players we've ever seen. So, Thor, I'm going to I'll push back a little bit because, and I get what you're saying. But I guess it comes down to this. Do you believe, because I don't disagree that Alabama, obviously, I mean, you know, I, I agree one to four. I mean, I presented the question. I think it's as balanced as you get. But I thought Florida State had a better resume in the fact that they did everything that was asked of them. They went outside the league. They played two in the SEC. And Alabama struggled late against Auburn. People forget about that. But it comes down to, in your opinion, Thor, is the is the committee's job to say we're going to pick the teams that we feel are the four best at the end of December, or is it to pick the four teams that had the best resume going in? It's the former um, for me, uh, and and the the committee bylaws, you know, they they have stipulations in there that that have to do with weighing if a team has an injury or coaching changes that could depreciate how good it is, or you know, or how good you projected to be the next game. Obviously, we saw Florida State without Jordan Travis. And that offense was really tough to watch. The, the way, only way they could move the ball was with Wildcat. That wasn't going to work in, in the college football playoff. So, I, I mean, the, the total resume, yes, most of which was produced with Jordan uh, Travis behind uh, center. With, with uh, Tate Rodemaker, you know, it's just not the same thing. They're not one of the four best teams in the nation. So I, I think the right decision was made. Is this the final game at Michigan for Jim Harbaugh? I believe so. Uh, well, well the, I mean, unless they win, obviously, but you get what I'm saying. Yes, right? I, I believe the national championship will be the last game for Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. Yes. Do, so obviously, now is that because, in your opinion, Thor Nystrom, if Jim Harbaugh is to leave Michigan, is it because the money and the lifestyles of the NFL are just too hard to pass on, or because there are just so many things stacked against Michigan now that he's got to he's got to bail? This is just my read on this. I, I don't have any inside information on this, but it really does seem like the NCAA or a small group at the NCAA has it out for Jim Harbaugh, and they're trying to push him out. You've seen Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the, this, the second one, you know, with the second three-game suspension that he got this year through the Stallions thing, they suspended Harbaugh, but they, you know, the NCAA came out and said, like, we're punishing the Michigan program. You know, it's not specific to Jim Harbaugh, but we had to, you know, punish them somehow. The, you know, and, and you can nitpick that one. The first three-game suspension he got, we all kinds of coaches do worse stuff than that every year, even confirmed, reported on the record, et cetera. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, you know, lied about, uh, you know, buying a cheeseburger for a recruit, and they nicked him three games on that. They're going after him for stuff you don't see other coaches, the NCAA, get after them for, with punitive penalties as well. I, I I just think that the writing is on the wall here, and and that's why I think he moves on. What? Why do you need the consternation if you're one of the five best football coaches walking planet Earth? I'm not talking NFL or college. I'm talking throw them all together. He can go to the pros. He doesn't have to worry about all this nonsense. When you look at Washington and Texas, Thor Nystrom, a fantasy pro, is nice enough to take some time with us. I don't like the whole force narrative of quarterback versus quarterback because, as we know, they're not on the field at the same time, but it's hard with a matchup like this not to. Is it fireworks across the board with Quinn Ewers versus Michael Penix Jr.? 
I think so, yeah. Um, although I think Texas will keep the ball on the ground more just because Washington has one of the worst run defenses in the entire Power Five. But, yeah, you're also going to see a lot of the, the deep shots once Washington starts to move guys up. Washington moved guys up to address Oregon's running game, and they played way up on run defense. The problem for Oregon, and this goes into Bo Nix's draft evaluation, Bo Nix can't throw downfield. He doesn't have the pocket presence for it. He doesn't have the, the, the coverage down, the, the reading, the downfield ability. He doesn't have the accuracy downfield. If you look like, yeah, his, his accuracy jumped way up in terms of the road numbers the last couple of years. Check out his A dot. He had one of the, the uh, in, in terms of the entire nation, got the ball out uh, fifth highest in, in terms of the fewest uh, seconds it took to throw the ball. They just get the ball out right away to, you know, whether it's a running back, Bucky Irving, whether it's a tunnel screen to uh, his, his half-brother, uh, Tez Johnson, whether it's uh, uh, Troy Franklin. It's just a bunch of short stuff. So, um, yeah, but Quinn Ewers has a cannon for an arm. I comp him to, to Matthew Stafford. I, I think there's a lot of similarities there, especially the way that they throw the ball. It, it looks like a mirror image. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see them going downfield more, and that, that's probably how Ewers piles up his passing yards in that game. Off topic from the college football playoffs, but for Indiana from a local standpoint, and I know that this is a little more off radar because James Madison, you know, great year for them, but they're not, you know, they weren't power five. But your thoughts, Thor, on Indiana's hire of Kurt Signetti? Absolutely incredible hire. Absolutely incredible hire. I was surprised that Indiana, like early on when they fired Allen, I heard some whispers of Indiana's going for it. They're they're not they're not going to screw around anymore with the the head coach or not with the football program in general. And I was like, we'll wait and see on that. They they did. I they, they got. I'm kind of surprised, Store, that Indiana was the one that ended up with him. Like in hindsight, don't you think to yourself, like, how did he not go to a bigger program? Uh, yeah, and I thought he was going to get a Power Five job after last year. I mean, th- this guy's been performing miracles for a long time, and I know that people it rubbed people the wrong way. The little sound clip they took out of his first press conference where he said, "You know, what's your pitch to recruits? I win. Google me." It's the truth, though. The truth hurts sometimes. I mean, th- that is his pitch to to, to kids. And they should listen to it because he turns around every program and then becomes a big winner wherever he goes. You needed a coach like that if you're at Indiana to, you know, even even become like a, a regular bull team in this new Big Ten, which has just become grisly with the four more elite teams coming in now. I, I like the, the, you know, Signetti coming in, obviously elite coach, but also the way he coaches. I, I think it's you, you have a lot of Big Ten defenses that are going to have to go more to the three three five to address the spread offenses and the more speed and different stuff like that. Tignetti and those guys, they're just going to run on you and, and, and use the quarterback and the mobility and different stuff like that. And then they can pick you apart when you go in the zone. So I, I, I just really like it from all different angles on that. And I, I think he's going to turn around Indiana. Absolutely. Thor Nystrom is our guest from Fantasy Pros. Thor, this year's NFL draft, what we know is that Indianapolis is going to be drafting further back than probably we initially thought. So for the Colts that have the franchise quarterback in Anthony Richardson and still have pieces elsewhere that need to be plugged in, assuming that they're going to be drafting somewhere like in the lower, you know, early 20s, somewhere in there, the this year's draft is going to be really rich in what position? So in other words, you don't have to be in the top five to get a really good player at what position because there are going to be multiple of them available. 
Well, it's going to be top-heavy in elite, elite prospects, and we do have that. And by the way, speaking on that notion, it breaks my heart the Colts aren't drafting in the top five because I badly wanted Marvin Harrison Jr. to go there and then spend his career with Anthony Richardson. That would have been so fun. But obviously the, the Colts are way ahead of schedule, and the future is very bright there. I, I think receiver, though, uh, could be where you're looking. Uh, the, the Colts already have a, a pretty solid receiving core think you could really make the argument that they could use one more guy and now all of a sudden it is scary 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 especially with uh, Richardson coming back especially with Jonathan Taylor locked in there now the offensive line they have you get one more uh, really 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 good receiver I think it's on in terms of that offense um, and and you have depth there in the first round I mean obviously you're going to miss out on Harrison how does it Dunze test um, that's going to depend on whether he does go at the bottom end of that top 10 or whether it's more like, you know, around the 20th pick or the, you know, what, whatever, because you have some of those other receivers in there in play as well. Malik Neighbors, his teammate uh, Brian Thomas, I think is a stud. I, I really, and I think he's underrated. I, I think Jalen McMillan from Washington, Adunze's teammate, I think he's underrated too. Guys that got overshadowed, they're being looked at as round two prospects now, but both those guys I could see as late first rounders, absolutely. Uh, Ameka Igbuka, you guys are very familiar with him. He's going to be going pretty high as well, whether it's late first round, whether it's early second. I think where the Colts are going to end in the draft in that first round slot, I think the value is going to be a wide receiver. Hey, could Harrison go number one overall? Is he good? I mean, I, is he good enough that instead of Caleb Williams, instead of you know the kid out of North Carolina, could 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 a team drafting number one, whoever ends up with that pick, because we'll see if it's traded out, could Harrison go number one overall? Only well. Just the position value is is the only reason I don't think that that's going to happen. Just because of the trade that the Bears could get. If you didn't have trades, obviously, like I I, I do think he would go on uh, number one if if the Bears were in that slot, and you could justify uh, that I I think. But you have the teams that are so desperate for the quarterback. We remember what I mean. This happens every year, but last year was Bryce Young. Gave, or, uh, you know, the Panthers gave up the the King's ransom to move up and get Bryce Young. The Bears are going to get confronted with that again, and I think that becomes the bigger discussion of: Do we go forward with Justin Fields another year, take another King's ransom, or do we sit here and then we trade Justin Fields for you know what, you know second round pick or whatever? Maybe maybe get a second and a fifth, something like that. Um, I think that's probably the direction just because of the enormous draft equity that is involved with that. But we haven't seen a, a receiver prospect come out like Marvin Harrison in a really, really, really long time. I mean, maybe you would say Jamar Chase, but I, I think he's going to be ranked, you know, with the guys that do the, the numerical systems. I think he's going to be ranked even higher now. You'd have to go back even before that. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I know he's a great player, and I've watched a lot of him because I'm a Clemson fan. But Drake May out of North Carolina, I, I would pass on him, Thor, just because every time I see his name, it reminds me of Mayo, and, and I, <laughs> I, I can't deal with it. I just I can't do it, man. It's a middle <laughs> hurdle, I'm telling you. Yeah, well, you know, in terms of the the quarterbacks at the top, I, I think it's going to get really interesting because when we came into this season, it was, as you guys know, Caleb was the consensus QB1, Drake May was consensus QB2, and then enormous drop-off, and then there was we were talking about a bunch of these other guys. I think Jaden Daniels uh, is now – he has made this a three-horse race, and you know, for, for the top. I, I think he has a shot to surpass one or potentially even both of those guys. Depending on the offensive system of the team that's drafting, th- that's the fascinating thing about that question too is all three of those guys' games are so different. You would want Drake May if you're one of those teams where 
you want the quarterback to run on script what you tell them. So a team like the Patriots, right, or a team like uh, my local Minnesota Vikings, they want you to stay on script. They want you to, you know, say the lines that you've been given by the director. Don't want you going off script. Caleb Williams is the exact opposite. He's the playground ball guy. But he, he is going to create in the moment. He doesn't care. I mean, like, the, the play concept is what it is. He knows what the routes are. But he is going to create in that moment. That would drive some coaches up the wall. It's the reason, you know, Pat Mahomes was, has been so successful over his career. It turned out to be an enormous steal. If he had gone to a different coaching staff that tried to put him, you know, the, the square peg into the round hole, it wouldn't have turned out like this. So Caleb Williams needs to find a coaching staff that will allow him to do that. And then when Jaden Daniels, very, very poised in the pocket now. He has gotten so much better at that. Awesome, awesome deep ball, so he can stretch you deep. And then he's a very, very good scrambler. One question with him is, when he tucks and runs, and you guys can look at this in his advanced metrics, when he tucks and runs, he always runs. He does not throw on the run. So I think that's one thing where he's going to get nitpicked is you, you have it can't be binary. He's got to get a little bit better switching for or, you know when 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 he's you know starting to, to drift to the side. Keep your eyes up, but he's showing that he's a killer in the pocket, especially down the field, and that also he's an elite scrambler as well when he doesn't see it. He's Thor Nystrom with Fantasy Bros, college football NFL analyst. Thor, Michigan favored by point and a half, Texas favored by four. Where are you going with both those college football semifinals and who ultimately hoists the trophy on the eighth? I'm definitely going with Michigan against Bama, and I'm definitely going – I'm staying with Michigan as my title pick. That's been my title pick since, you know, the preseason and everything. Got to stay with that. In the other game, what I love is the over uh, <laughs> because uh, Texas can mercilessly attack that horrid uh, Washington run defense. And on the other side, Washington, their passing off, elite passing offense, can attack the, the weakness with, with Texas' secondary there. The side of that game is tougher with, with the points. I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I, I think right now I've, I've, I've gotten to maybe taking Washington plus the points, but I was at Texas minus the points before. I still haven't made my final call on that. I, I think that one is right on the line. It's an objectively fair spread. So, so that one, it's, it's more up in the air. But the total in that one overall day, that one is going to be a wild shootout. That's what I like to hear. You got, uh, Jimmy, you got your picks locked and loaded for the end of the program? I do indeed, right. but I love a good over on a college football playoff semifinal. Jake, it, it, it's a birthday over for me. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's you go. sure as hell don't like any unders. So I yeah. don't like unders. You're correct. You're right on that. Thor, Thor we appreciate man. the time, man. Enjoy the game. Appreciate you, boys. Always good talking to you. All right, Thor, Thor Nystrom. Here's a little trivia question for you, Jimmy. All right. What do I have in common with Thor? You both view yourselves as Greek gods? I don't. Oh, come I, on. I am. I think, I don't, come on. I, I'm not responsible for the viewpoint of others <laughs> about myself. Uh, I don't know, Eddie. You have a guess. Our friend Paris that was just here has this in common with me as well. You are all affiliated with Kansas. That is correct. Thor is a graduate of the University of Kansas. I'm not a graduate. Went to University of Kansas. That's probably the key word in that statement was affiliate. Alum. They're all alums. That is true, actually. One believes that you have to be a graduate to nope. be an alum. It only means that you are a product of the university, correct? That is correct. What drives me nuts is the following. What drives me crazy is when you're in a car, and the car in front of you, there's a guy driving. Give me a university off the top of your head. Any university Butler. will work. Butler. So you're behind some guy, and he's got a sticker in the window, and it says, Butler University Alumni. Uh, it's alumnus. Yes. Or a sweatshirt. That's my, my favorite. The guy's wearing a sweatshirt. Butler alumni. You're not an alumni. You're an alumnus. Alumni is plural. Where's the other one? 
Unless you're a Siamese twin, you can't be running around wearing a sweatshirt that says alumni, right? You know, believe it or not, Eddie's actually been running around the entire country correcting that on people's sweatshirts. He's been just <laughs> writing over it. Clearly, writing alumni Eddie, Eddie did not even hesitate with that, right? Oh, yeah, because I knew the, knew where you were going with that. <laughs> well, I, this has it. been... A, You've said that before. I, it's been... it's Since we've been together. It literally is my... One of, in my pet peeve list, it's top five. Um... What's number one? People offering him mail. It's very high on the list. Uh, let me tell you a, a weird fun fact about me. It's not a pet peeve of mine. At this point, it's become a running gag. Okay? Um, gag anytime there's mayo, but this is a running gag. Sure. I'm not kidding you when I tell you this, and I've mentioned this on the radio a hundred times, but it happened to me again last weekend. It, I, I've, We could go anywhere and order beers, I've told you guys, and they will tell me that they just blew the keg. It's unreal. Unbelievable. It's like the, it's like the McDonald's ice cream machine for you? Ask, ask Michael. <laughs> yes. Ask Michael Young about it from IndyCar Radio. When we go on the road, he's like, this is unbelievable. Everywhere we go, I'm like, dude, it's it's crazy. Okay? But here, my pet peeves, as you guys know, as I've said before, th- literally the three people that, that you know, they, they always tell you, like, if you ever watch documentaries on serial killers, not to say that I have, but, you know, I have the box set, that- <laughs> People that have, that grow up, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but truthfully, psychologically speaking, people that grow up to become like sociopaths, there are things in their childhood, behaviors that are predictors, and it's starting fires, disregard of like animal feelings or torture, unfortunately, of animals, and wetting the bed. Those are the three, right? As a human being, I'm not equating anything to the atrocities of that, but I truly believe that a sign that you are just not a quality human is no dog voice no dog voice is one good call correct the other day i go to the grocery store i'm walking leaving your cart out i'm walking into the grocery store and a guy has walked is walking out and he has the little cart and his wife has pulled the car right up to the curb so that he doesn't have to go along with the cart fine power move i get it he unloads like the two things of groceries and then just leaves the cart right in the middle of the pathway and gets in the car and they drive off. Not returning your grocery cart, number two. And then number three, and this one might be the most egregious because it is the most pointless, as I've mentioned to you before. Being in the self-checkout with 11 items when it says 10 items or less? Nope, that's not, because these days everything's self-checkout because they don't want, they, for some reason these grocery stores have determined that it is actually more cost-effective for them to not pay somebody, you know, hourly wage to sit there and instead trust the general public to scan everything that they're purchasing. I'd like to have a discussion on the economics of that. But um, number three, without question, and this isn't even this isn't even necessarily like a narcissistic trait, although I think that that's a factor, as much as just overall cognitive ineptitude, is these people in row 32A that as soon as the the bell rings on the plane, yep. jump up and they skip forward to like t- row 27 and then stand there for 10 minutes while we deboard. What are we doing? I thought you were mad at the people that stand up and grab their bag. They don't advance, but they just stand. Well, I mean, that, if they're not advancing, that's okay so long as they're not allowing, so long as they... Okay, so I'm not a bad person. Though. Yeah, getting up and getting your bag is okay. Okay. But it's these morons that like go sprint. Suddenly they're acting like Edwin Moses and they're hurtling over stuff to move up like five rows. And you're like, dude, wh- what are you doing here? We're all bottlenecked. Yeah. It drives me bonkers. It drives me crazy. 
That that's it. Outside of that, I, I'm fine. I'm cool. I, I'm a very even keel individual. But for crying out loud, if you are skipping everybody on on the plane in order to then go to the grocery store, not return your cart, get in your car, and talk to your dog in a regular voice instead of a non-dog <laughs> voice, then you are a sociopath. And if you bought mayo at the grocery store, forget about it. So, Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Before we get to the predictions later in the program, Jimmy, because I think it is easy to forget that it's college football playoff weekend, right? Like, there's so much talk about the bowl games and then obviously the Pacers and the Bulls last night, and we've talked so much about the Colts and the Raiders upcoming that you do tend to forget that and they also moved remember at one point the it seemed like the the college football playoff was actually like the week after the new year and then there was you know it it kind of dragged along i always enjoyed and a lot of people don't like this particular occurrence that happens with the college football playoff jimmy kimmel and a bunch of other folks mascots all that isn't there a jimmy kimmel bowl too there used to be. I think they stopped that this year. But they would they did a parody of Old Lang Syne and it was, you know, this New Year's Eve will be and they sang about right. the college football playoff. And like I love that ad and I love the concept because like I'm gonna be out and about anyway on New Year's somewhere to bar. Like I, I liked the idea, but from what I gathered, a lot of normal human beings don't really want to spend New Year's Eve just watching college football all day. Yeah, I think that's I mean, the daytime, you and it, know. Did, it didn't become what they wanted it to be. They wanted, when they first had it on New Year's Eve, it to be like a marquee sports calendar right. circlet like the NBA on Christmas Day. Right. This is going to be a lane for college football. Didn't pan out that way, but I really wanted it to. Of the four, okay, so the team, that, and I'm not saying who you think is going to win. We all have naturally the teams that, I don't know why this is. But we all have our favorite teams in sports. And then you have other teams that you're like, yeah, I've always kind of liked them. They're fine. And there are a couple of those in this for me. But you will be rooting for Alabama and Michigan. Which one? You ever watch The Dark Knight Rises? No. It was the last of the Batman trilogy. I mean, I'm familiar with it, yes. Okay, well, there's an iconic scene where Antoine randall runs a kickback for a touchdown and Bane had actually uh, planted, like, explosives below the stadium. And so, like, the field collapses in and Antoine randall is the only one that made it out of that. That's not an option here, right? You're saying I got to pick a <laughs> team. one Randall is not playing. Um, but point taken. I guess Michigan for the hardball drama, but I really don't care for either of these teams. Yeah, and supporting the Big Ten, I guess. Whatever. Nothing against Alabama. You know, the one thing I'll say for Alabama, it the two things that I've always said. Number one, I went to the national championship game between Alabama and Clemson, and the Alabama fans were fabulous, totally cool. And secondly. For Nick Saban's players, and not that this isn't the case with in most places probably, but I've never really watched a post-game Alabama interview with a player where I didn't think to myself, that seems like a really nice kid. Yeah. A young man, I, I realize. But sure. you know what I mean? Like, I, they just I, – I think that you have to have just kind of a certain buy-in to play for Nick Saban at Alabama, and I can respect that. It's a well-put-together program. Totally. It, it is a program, and I know this draws ire from a lot of people. Down in Miami – people that have played for the Heat, and this came up again earlier this week. I think Udonis Haslam said something. Heat culture. Talk about heat culture, right? That bugs a lot of people. But, like, 
that is Alabama. It takes a certain level of buy-in to your point, Jake, and a certain level of mentality to be able to play there. There's no doubt about it. And they carry themselves very well, more often than not. The the Michigan factor is certainly interesting. The Harbaugh, you know, it very well could be, and I do think that it's a, a safe prognostication to say that Jim Harbaugh, between the Chargers and other such areas, and I, I don't necessarily totally agree with Thor that it's a witch hunt against Harbaugh. I mean, there have been more than enough he, things he, that indiscretions that are not necessarily that are pretty insipid, right? I do think there have been some where it's definitely nitpicking, but there's been more that are way worse that outweigh the whole oh they're going after him well no there's a large body of work here like yes maybe there's a couple of really that's the amount of games right but it's outweighed by look at what else he's done but i'll say you know michigan's been so kicked around uh my friend anju's stepson plays for michigan so i'll take michigan as who i'm rooting for against alabama but i'm kind of fine either way uh, texas washington's kind of a fun game to me because i've always kind of liked both programs to be honest with you but Michael Penix Jr., I think, tips the scale for me. I think it'd be a great story if he takes them to the national championship game, right? I'm the same way. I don't know if it's the fact of the Indiana ties and just being so happy for him given the injury struggles that he had while a member of the Hoosiers and then getting this second chance, this second opportunity with Washington and now being just a couple steps away from a national title. So it's hard for me to take those glasses off and say, yeah, I'm rooting. Like I'm, I'm rooting for Washington. I've rooted for Washington in terms of just big games. You know, you'll pick a side. Betting makes this much easier, right? Like you just put five or ten bucks down on a side, and then you're rooting for them. But for me, with five or ten bucks, I'm trying to bring Jake in easily. Okay, let's let's not. What do you what do you what do you want me to say, Eddie? You want to say we're ten thousand dollars? All right, ten grand on Washington. No, but like that's a modern way for people to get behind a side. For me, I just I'm drawn to Michael Penix. I appreciate his story. They would be a they're they're the underdog of the mix, yeah. right? Like not to totally discredit Texas because I know they won their first Big Twelve Big Twelve title in fourteen years, but for Washington, this would be their first national championship since ninety one. If they're able to get the job done both this weekend or on Monday and on the eighth, I'm rooting for Washington because of that. And also, I think it'd be just absolutely hilarious for the final imprint of this four team college football playoff to be Michael Penix Jr. and Washington, who were drugs through the mud last five weeks because of their offensive struggles, and they answer the bell yet again against Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, and then would be able to do it twice against some really powerful programs in the sport. Uh, this from my buddy Chris. Hey, Jake, I'm pretty sure it was Heinz Ward, not Randall It L. was Heinz Ward. You're right. That's on my That's my bad. Thank you for that. You know, it's interesting that something named Heinz would be able to get out that quickly. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Why do you laugh? They at actually his? filmed that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes. I'm a Why sucker. I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for a corny joke, man. I'm sorry, I can't help it. Uh, they actually filmed that in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. Fun fact. Really? Yep. Heinz and Heinz. Yep. Okay. Eddie, you were going to say something. I was going to say that you also can't forget about the other Indiana connection in that game of being Kalen DeBoer, the head coach of Washington, right. the former IU offensive sure. coordinator as well. So. I'm backing Washington. Hopefully they're able to make it in. And then um, I have to root for Alabama because Olivia asked me back in June before college football even really started uh, who my pick was to win the entire thing, the CFP. And I picked Alabama because I had no idea about who was good, if Georgia was going to be any good. So I must root for Roll Tide. I just and she picked I, Michigan. I've got nothing against Alabama, to be honest with you, but it just – 
maybe it would be perfectly fitting in the last four-year playoff for Alabama to win it because everybody's been pining for change with all of this, and Alabama has obviously owned this entire format, so why not just stick with what's been there the whole time, right? You know what I mean? But Washington, to me, is is just kind of cool. I don't know. Something about Washington. I, they've always been a good, solid program, but they're kind of up there in the corner, so you don't pay as much attention to them. Here's why I don't want Bama. There's a number of different reasons, but the primary reason why is argument against expansion for the last decade was look at what Alabama does. Nobody else deserves. They don't need more teams. What, you need more teams so Bama can just go through more competition and win by 20 in the natty? Like, there's no competition for them. Then the last couple of years, you finally had things not level off, but like Georgia arrives. And then there's like an equal to Bama. And Clemson has had their stretch as well over the, if you go zoom out for the last 10 years. I don't want the exclamation point, even though the 12-team playoff is happening, regardless of what happens on the 8th of January, I don't want the last memory of that to be, hey, look, Bama won it again. Glad we're doing this whole 12-team playoff thing. Yeah. More teams is not the answer. I, I, that's not how I want it to I, be. I, I do think, and look, the the reality here is that no matter what, people are going to nitpick. Nobody's ever going to be satisfied. Yeah. But with the 12-team playoff, the majority of people that I've talked to about it that are football fans all kind of tend to agree that eight teams is really kind of the max, right? I mean, this year, who did we determine in the 12-team playoff would be in, like Ole Miss? I, I think I you want Lane Kiffin in my life. I don't know about you. I'm, well, I'm but, all right but, with that. But there is a clear, or like Louisville was like right on the cusp of that. You know, if you go to eight, I think you're you're like at Oregon, right? I mean, Oregon and Alabama, or Oregon and Michigan, is a pretty good game. Is anybody really like thinking like Michigan and Ole Miss is like, oh man, that's going to be a great one? You know, you got a pretty good feeling what's going to happen in a game like that. I am always glass half full, ever the optimist. Oh, so am I. No, I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to pinch hold to say you're not. You're not, but. I want to let it have its stay first in terms of seeing it before I'm willing to say, yeah, you know what? We didn't need Oklahoma in there this year. We didn't need Ole Miss. Like, I just want to want to see how it plays out because it's hard to judge it right now with all the opt-outs, whereas I, I firmly believe, and maybe I'll be wrong on this, a year from now when it's 12, the opt-outs will go away. And Thor brought up an interesting point very in the weeds, but a very interesting point about insurance policies and like that whole thing. It's a conversation for another day. I think opt-outs die down with expansion because everybody legitimately believes they have a shot at this thing. Florida State's not sitting at home That's upset fair. anymore yeah, fighting right. to leave the ACC because, well, they still actually have a ticket into this thing. Let's see how the cards fall. The opt-outs, though, still like in the, you know, in the majority of the bowl games. Non-twelve, The non-football right. playoff, they'll still right. be there, but those that make it, I think they will not be as prevalent. Uh, I think last the, night, the larger ahead. issue with those non-12 playoff teams is the transfer portal and just like the timing of when you can enter and when you can start recruiting, I think needs just to be pushed back until after all the bowl games are played and then you'll probably see more players participating in said bowl games. Yeah, but I, I don't disagree and I know with what you're saying in spirit, but the reality is that guys are always going to like push that envelope. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah. we can sit we can sit here and say like, you know, coaches can't start talking to to portal kids for another 2 weeks and it's like does that mean they're not going to? I mean, you know what I mean? That's just kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, last night in the NBA, Pacers in Chicago, two things really taking place last night that were pretty interesting. The first was the Pacers had 
a massive lead against Chicago that evaporated quickly. And a lot of times this happens with teams where they have to make a push in order to reduce a lead, and then that just kind of takes so much wind out of them that the water finds its level and refills again pretty quickly. And that's what happened for the Pacers. They got it down. Chicago took the lead, as a matter of fact. But to come back from 25 down within like an eight-minute span to erase that lead, they just kind of, you know, they hit the wall and Indiana was able to make plays down the stretch to to end up winning the game. Tyrese Halliburton last night was sensational. 21 points, 20 assists, no turnovers. I think that's the big thing is just the no turnover aspect of it. Because like we talked about earlier in the show, Jimmy – it, it seems like Halliburton's shot facilitates his openness and his comfort level for the rest of his game offensively. And all of a sudden, once his shot gets going, he gets this like kind of swagger about him where then he's making passes that seemingly are unbelievable, that nobody's expecting, and, and everything gets going. I think at times when his shot's not going, that's when things, when the turnovers happen because he starts to kind of force things a little bit too much, not only in his shot, but also in trying to get the ball in areas that are too tight a window for him to get it to, right? And that's where problems exist for him. But last night was the Halliburton that, you know, we got to see certainly during the in-season tournament and became accustomed to that is the rising superstar. And but then they got really good play from other guys, notably Neesmith, Jalen Smith, I thought gave them really good minutes. And Isaiah Jackson got called for taking more than 10 seconds at the free throw line. I only mention that because I've never seen it happen before. I really don't think I ever have. I think he was guilty of it, yeah. but it's very rarely called. Right? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a carry in the NBA, right? It's very rare that you often see carrying called, but it's still on the docket. In regards to the Tyrese Halliburton point, a performance like that, turns his words into real actions. And by that, I mean, you hear him say, yeah, I got to take better care of the basketball. It's on me. I've been bad with the basketball lately. And it's like, dude, you had two turnovers. Like, what, what do you what do you mean you need to be better? And then he has a performance like that. Again, I'm not saying the expectation every night should be he's going to have 20 assists and no turnovers or 21 assists, and no turnovers, where the final mark was there for him. But I am saying that I buy in more to the idea that he is capable of on a nightly basis being perfect versus thinking, well, maybe that is a bar that's too high for him to reach. Right. I, you know, back against New York here, On, I, I guess the other side of it is this, and that is, you know, you get the day off, right? But coming off a game like that where you had this huge lead, you had to come back, Tyrese Halliburton was kind of in that zone. Now it's a matter of just sustaining it, right, Jimmy? Because they, they still, when you look at the Pacers, they still need to get some footing and get kind of on a streak again, if you will, and, and kind of get that, that mojo back. They need their mojo back a little bit. There's multiple avenues in a season where you can turn things around, where you can figure out, no, this is really the team that we are. Yes, maybe we struggled the first 30 games in this particular category. For the Pacers, it would be applying high-level defense while not letting the offense be victims to that new focus. A couple of games now strung together where you've seen, no, they can do both. They can still play at a high level. I mean, not the ridiculous 140 a night pace they were at, but they can get to 120, 130, and still play high-quality defense. That's a two-game sample size you've seen against Houston and Chicago. Get another opportunity on Saturday against New York, then a day off, and then you really hit the ground running with high-level competition. I won't hit a panic button one way or another. I suppose if they get rolled in all four of these matchups, I might. But otherwise, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, then Atlanta, Boston, Boston, and both the Boston games at home. I need to see that they are capable of playing this style 
and just it's not even a full style change. It's just more of an emphasis on defense. I need to see they're capable of doing that while still being against tough competition. And again, it could still be fixed even if they don't produce the results I want to open the year. But man, is that a great opportunity to not only gain ground in the East, but also prove to yourself internally, we're not just a single elimination style team. We can make changes, improve and grow, and we should be viewed as a tough out as we make this push for the playoffs. A friend of the program, Pat, who runs the bar, the lounge up there next to the movie theaters in the fashion mall. Good dude. Uh, Guys, you aren't going to believe this, but Dark Knight Rises currently is showing right now inside the bar. Yes. (laughs) While I'm listening to you guys, but it is Heinz Ward, not Randall L. Again, my bad. I'm you know, very, my only complaint with those Batman myself. movies, which are kind of cool, right? I have a hard time with movies where it's dark the whole time. I realize it's Dark Knight, but but like you know what I mean. Like I need some light at some point. Well, you would have hated then the newest Batman that came out last year because that was like being in a cave, like from a because a lot of you know this, Jake, but a lot of cinematographers like to use light versus dark scenes to emphasize the tone of the film. It makes now. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I then. was going to say that the the most recent Batman a year ago that came out makes those movies you're talking about look like it's rainbows, butterflies, and sunshine. Batman saved Robin's parents, and as a result, Robin's forever indebted to him. Isn't that it, or something along those lines? Yes. Or did he save Robin? Well, no, Robin, Robin is also an orphan, and so is Bruce Wayne. So he feels obligated to take Robin in under his okay. wing. But and now Robin is helpful, or Robin's just kind of a sidekick, like well, a nice dude. It, angsty develop like he develops into a very helpful So robin has powers neither of them have powers they're just very like agile at fisticuffs and have cool gadgets they're not they're not like superman where they fly right robin eventually becomes his own superhero batman can't fly he's a bat and he has a glider like you could like a flying squirrel you see on he can't fly i had a flying squirrel in college i've heard this story yes Unfortunately, pour one out for poor Rocky. (laughs) That's correct. We don't need to rehash what happened to poor Rocky. We'll come back and get your picks next. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right. I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. We'll take a look at the weekend matchups for today. We'll scoop the five and a half. Missouri is five and a half point dogs against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. Scoop means you're taking that, right? Missouri. Heading into the weekend. Scoop means you are having them cover, right? Five heading, and a half. heading into the weekend, we will lay four and a half on Penn State as they are taking on Ole Miss, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. That on Saturday. Eddie, does Scoop mean he's taking it? Is that what that means? Yeah. Okay. So Missouri's plus five and a half. Indeed. That's, that's, why, that's, I cl- that's why I clarify with the line that they were getting five and a half. Well, you ignored both of us. So. I, I, I adequately addressed it in my mind. Over three and a half. Well, your total mind touchdowns. is not the audio medium. Over three and a half total touchdowns for the Bulldogs of Georgia against Florida State. I'm not laying or scooping 20 points. That's the spread in that ball game for Colts Raiders. Playoff dreams end here. Give me the Raiders on the money line in the college football playoff. Michigan. Thank you very much. Michigan over Alabama. Washington over Texas on Monday. For what reason would you pick the Raiders over the Colts? I th- I'm not saying, but I'm saying, like, you I th- see that game will happen. I, I think that Malcolm Kuntz and Max Crosby make life a living hell for Gardner Minshew. I think even with Michael Pittman Jr. trending towards playing back, that that pressure is enough to rattle the Colts offensively. And I don't trust the Colts secondary without Julian Blackman. I think that there is a 
high level, maybe best game of the season day for Devonte Adams. They win. I think my pick I gave Nick was 20 to 17. I hope I'm wrong, but I just, that, that's the way I see it. Eddie, your prediction first up for the college football playoff, just simply go with this. When we are reconvening on Tuesday, you will be predicting that we will be talking about which two teams in college football's national championship game. Michigan and Washington. Okay. I think it's going to be Texas and Alabama. So we'll go uh, – although I think you could throw them in a blender, right? Um, Eddie, your prediction for the Colts-Raiders game. I went Colts 20, Raiders 17. I think this team has done a good job this year bouncing back after they've laid an egg and have avoided laying uh, two eggs in back-to-back weeks because I think Shane Steichen really puts a foot up their butt and gets them going uh, throughout the week and prepared well enough for this one. I just don't know if the Raiders' offense has enough to score. It just depends on if Josh Jacobs plays. So I will take the Colts at home 2017. Yeah, I don't see how, you know, yesterday we talked to JT the Brick, and I, I think he made some really good points just about the offensive ineptitude of the Raiders. I mean, their defense is obviously playing at a very high level. Um, I know that Jimmy's got to pick the Raiders so that it doesn't feel as guilty that his Chiefs got beat by the Raiders. But um, I, I just, and I, I do think defensively they're very good. I mean, that's a very solid point. But with Michael Pittman back, with Jonathan Taylor back there, it, it feels like there are some things to just kind of keep the Raiders at bay. But more importantly, Aiden O'Connell and that offense have just struggled such that I can't see them. Even if the Colts are taken out of their rhythm I, offensively, it's really hard to think that the Raiders are going to be able to score enough I, points. I want to clarify one thing, and people have lost this in the sauce of what Aiden O'Connell did, which is he didn't complete a pass for the final three quarters of that game. A, they didn't need to yeah. based on game scripts. Right? And B, I haven't heard anybody, especially JT the Brick, who I did enjoy talking to, say this. The Chiefs have one of the best defenses in football. Like That's not me being a homer. That's a fact. In almost every statistical category, the best Chiefs defense they've had in a decade. Like, don't take that game that Aiden O'Connell had and say that's who he is as a quarterback. He is not like like the world on fire guy, but he's done fine for what's been asked of him. I think fine with Devontae Adams might be enough to pull the upset at Lucas Oil. 2017 Raiders. Okay, I'll go 20 to 15. I think the Colts do win and then set up. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the rest of the AFC South because Jacksonville taking on Carolina, but... Trevor Lawrence, is he going to play? We don't know. A lot of question marks there. So, um, And then, of course, Houston coming in for their showdown at the end. So certainly be interesting. Jimmy, on New Year's, you are going to be where? I'll be at Topgolf and Fisher. Right. Eddie, you are going to be? My parents. Where will you be? Uh, Slippery Noodle. I mean, we're not, we won't be, won't be out at midnight probably, but uh, we're going to go see the elect. I think Kravitz is going to join us, so that'll be fun. We're going to see the elect at the Slippery Noodle on New Year's Eve, which is going to feel like a Saturday, but that's Sunday, right? Yep. And then, of course, the Colts game. Um, Slippery Noodle is a great tailgate place, but then you've got, obviously, Bullseye Event Group is the place to be. That's where JMV will be, broadcasting, getting you set for the Colts and the Raiders. And John is up next. James, do we know where John is on remote today? He's at AL Emporium off of Allisonville Road. Oh, perfect. Right next to my gym. I might have to stop by and see him. So plenty of time to stop by, see John, have a cold one, and get set for the upcoming weekend. Have a very safe and happy New Year's Eve celebration, everybody. We will talk to you again on Tuesday at noon. John's up next from AL Emporium in Castleton.